episode six of Movie Mumble, the monthly movie exploration and discussion podcast where we seek to broaden our cinematic horizons. I'm your host, Scott Murray, and I'm joined, as always, by my mystical friends, Joel Lewis. Howdy. And Tim Gerard. Hello. Mm, mystical wasn't maybe the best descriptor, but it'll fit yeah. for the movie. <laughs> no, mystical. It something movie Mysterious. Related. For those of you unfamiliar with Movie Mumble, it is a monthly podcast where we get together, watch a film, and then talk about it. The goal is to introduce ourselves to new films, genres, styles, and themes, and generally just have fun. Hello, films. <laughs> I'm Joel. <laughs> <laughs> we each take turns picking a film to watch, whether it's one we already know and love or something completely new and unfamiliar, then watch it together in the hope that we find unexpected new joys along the way. There aren't really any rules about which films we can pick. They can be foreign or domestic, live action or animated, new or old, famous or obscure, anything at all. After we've watched each movie, we talk about it and see where that leads us, whether it's discussing the film itself, uh, its context or production, talking about our own personal movie memories, or just something else altogether. Who knows? At the end of each podcast, we will announce what we are watching next month, so you can sort of watch along with us if you like. Keep in mind, we will be spoiling every film we talk about. Or I should say, we won't withhold spoilers. There you go. Don't know where the discussion will go. We won't withhold anything back. So if you're worried about spoilers... <laughs> don't. Right. So if you're worried about spoilers, Listener, you, you want to watch the film before you listen to its episode. <laughs> this month, Tim was our movie selector, and he picked Pi. Tim? Uh, well, right, normally I used to ask the selector why they picked the film, but we're doing our little coin flip summary thing now. Yes. yes. Yeah. So now I get Tim, to flip and since you Tim is the selector, he gets to flip the coin. <laughs> um, who's so calling? You are. I am, so okay. you're calling in there? Yeah. Right. Hope this isn't hit the face. Heads. His heads. Scott ah. gets to pick. I, I'm, I'm going to describe this one. Thank I'm going to pick me. Thank because God. I, you two have both described already, and as I mentioned, you two's descriptions are <laughs> not so much summaries as they are just explaining the whole damn film. Long-winded. If you it's, like, it's like that guy from Ant-Man. I forget his character's name. One million like, ants. I love the good jokes begin already. Oh my... I am Krakuwad. <laughs> what did you do? Fall into a vat of redundancy? <laughs> God uh, damn! Anyway. <laughs> All right. Pi is a uh, a rather nice, very artistically shot indie film about a uh, mathematical genius. I don't think the word savant applies. Named Max, who is looking into math as the language of nature in the universe, and he seems like he's close to a breakthrough. He's trying to find some pattern, mathematical application to the stock market at the beginning of the film, but it eventually develops into all sorts of combinations of mathematical standards, people like Pythagoras and Archimedes and Euclid and, and the number pi, and, you know, it touches on that whole upper mathematical beauty of the universe thing I'm sure you've all heard about in some form or other at mm -hmm. some point, especially now that the internet is a thing. <laughs> um, and as he gets closer and closer to some kind of breakthrough, he found himself beset on all sides by people who want his his genius, his numbers want his breakthroughs, but don't necessarily care about him, and an increasing frequency in his uh, I guess I'll say episodes I don't know if seizure would be the term mm -hmm. these sort of dissociative hallucinations and he wakes up with blood all over his face from his nose and, and of course this all builds and builds and gets worse and worse until the climax of the film, and then it ends very shortly after uh, I'll admit the ending, and we can talk about the ending. I just was he dead or was he not? We don't know. 
we see him take a drill to quite dramatically to yes. his temple. But then we also see him sitting in a park, talking to a young girl from the beginning of the film. Yeah, just it, sort of in a kind of idyllic situation yeah. where he doesn't have to think about numbers. Concerned to be moving on with his life, yeah. which his mentor had prompted him to do many times before. Right. Uh, so that's that's the film, yeah. and that is my actually short summary. Damn. <laughs> um, I don't want to start with the ending. Let's start somewhere else. <laughs> Tim, Tim, why did you bring us this film? Um, why, God, why? <laughs> no, 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 I, no, I I'm just... Yeah. Why, Tim? Um, why? Well, you know, I, right. I don't know. I, I, I wanted to try to... film. Um, <laughs> we're going to get to ring the bell really quick. Here. <laughs> um, so back when I worked at Blockbuster... Ding, ding, ding! In, like, the early 2000s... Um, it was really interesting. I, I might have talked about this last time, too. You had a job in the early 2000s. <laughs> yeah, you're old. It was at Blockbuster. Um, do you happen to have any memorabilia from this time? Like, is there a name uh, tag? I do have name tags. I have. I think I have my old shirts. Like the oh, my the yellow God. Colors. Will you please bring those in? We'll I wear them when we, we do the podcast? I think we're, they're in Rhode Island. I might have to get you're them right. next time I go back to business. For the record, Joel is asking you to let other people wear your shirts. Yes, please, <laughs> God. No, if we ever do a live episode, you have to all wear those shirts. Could, yeah, that would be amazing. Sell those. That's true. For, yeah. I mean, they're just shirts, but yeah, with the right person, you could probably sell them. That's I'm true, the right yeah. person. I'm right here. <laughs> right, right. Look no $10, further. Thousand dollars. Ten thousand dollars and one penny. Uh, so you from your days at Blockbuster. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, so. Um, it was back when you know I just graduated college, just got my undergrad, and I, I was interested in, in doing film scoring. And this is also kind of why I got the job in general. Like, oh, I can do quote-unquote research and watch a bunch of films and listen to a bunch of film scores. And I was trying to get into, you know, more than just sort of um, the Hollywood blockbusters. Um, however, in, in around that time was, was when um, Requiem for a Dream and uh, Memento had both come out. They were about the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember kind of you know digging those two films. They were about these kind of directors that no one had really heard of yet. And they were you know really cool, and they were they, they had this sort of indie quality to them, but they also had this like in, in terms of the, the, the type of film, and uh, there weren't a lot of super famous actors in them. Um, and but they kind of had this Hollywood polish to them. So it was this really cool mix of something that looked like a Hollywood film but wasn't a typical Hollywood film. And uh, I remember, you know, really digging them and being like, oh, what else have these guys done? And hearing that, oh, well, you know, the guy that did Requiem for a Dream, Darren Aronofsky, his first film is this black and white film, Pi. And, um, uh, you know, oh, and, and you know, on in that sort of same realm, you know, Memento, the guy who did that, this guy, Christopher Nolan, who very few people had heard of at that time, you know, his first film was, it was I forget if it was Following or The Following. I think it's Following. Um, and, you know, so I, I hunted those two down, which was a lot more difficult back then. You couldn't just jump on Amazon and have it at your door in, like, two days. Like, you had to call to the other blockbuster. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you guys have this in stock? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but some guy's rented it and he hasn't returned it yet. Um, so, Is that you know. You? Are yeah, you yeah. foreshadowing? <laughs> Are you foreshadowing? Do you take it from your blockbuster and never return it? No. That actually happened. Show me your case again. Probably <laughs> <laughs> yes. does have a blockbuster sticker on it. <laughs> um, and uh, so, you know, so, and, I, and I, I, really, I really dug it. And in some ways, I liked um, Pi a lot better. And I actually had a, a discussion with, um, with a woman who I was working with. Um, 
at Blockbuster at the time, and she was she was sort of you know in a similar boat. She wanted to be an actress, and mm-hmm. she was working at Blockbuster. And she actually does live in California now, so she made it farther to the west than um, <clears throat> but Did she make it any farther into the industry than you did? Um, probably. You know? um, I don't know. I'll have to check that in. That sounded with. really rude. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I just, uh, Scott the dream killer over yeah. here. <laughs> Tim, your life is over. You've accomplished nothing. <laughs> I know. No, no, not even. Not, 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 I, wow, I, I meant rude to her even. Just, oh, jeez. She moved all that way and yeah, didn't no, go farther yeah, than you did. I got that. Hope wow, she, I, I hope she doesn't listen to this. I'm a, an asshole to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> it's like my superpower, basically. <laughs> That's your new shtick. <laughs> At least I have one now. Oh, <laughs> Shit. Wow! Oh. You know, oh. I was just looking at the quote from you that I wrote oh. down that says, "That says you've taken everything. I have no stick left. Right? What am I supposed bags. to do now?" Oh. So when you said that, I just couldn't pass up that the opportunity. Okay, let's let Tim finish his story. Oh, okay. <laughs> I kind of don't want to let Joel yeah, recover. Oh. There's no point. <laughs> Joel recover from his agony and Tim get finished. I'm going to cry in my coffee. I have uh, Make it tears so on salty. my face from the laughter. <laughs> tears of laughter. Tears of joy. So, uh, so anyway, you know, just so, yeah, so to wrap that up, I had a discussion with this, this woman and, you know, she was saying how much she loved Requiem and how, you know, it was this, you know, brilliant filmmaking. And I was like, oh, I definitely like, I love it. And I think it's, it's brilliant, but I like pie better. And she was like saying how she liked the ensemble aspect of Requiem for a Dream. And I was like, well, me, I kind of like the sort of the, the paranoid thriller like you know this kind of tortured genius aspect and you know the fact that he's so isolated and paranoid and she's like okay that that definitely makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense you know and you know in terms of comparing them to our our personalities and stuff <laughs> um so that's why that's part of why i chose that instead of requiem because they're you know they're both you know his early films you know really good but this one i feel like just um yeah, there was something that that sort of connected with with me at the time, you know, and it was sort of what I was going through at that time. Not not trying to be like, oh, well, I'm this mathematical genius, but but that sort of paranoid kind of being lost in your own head, being lost in your own thoughts, sure. um, not being able to appreciate sort of the simple beauty around you because you're you're trying to look beneath it, you know. And this is, I mean, this is also around um, you know the time where you know I had seen The Matrix as well, which also dealt with a lot of that, like this focus on this. I mean, he had a lot of more people in his court, but this this sort of one person who's this focus and it's like hey and it's all about you and these things that you can do and you know seeing through the code and but it's interesting that they kind of have two very different perspectives like they're trying to get neo to see through the code to what's really there and as this guy's trying to do that he's only finding misery and kind of it's only when he backs off from that that he's like oh okay now i have peace and things like that um um also uh there were a lot of things that have happened in uh like like little sort of uh, filmmaking tricks, or not tricks, but uh, you know, visual things that uh, Darren Aronofsky will use in his some of his other films that I wanted to kind of for you guys to see, like, oh, these are the origins of those, like the one where he, he's like popping pills, and you get these quick little shots of him opening the pill bottle, you know, dumping them into his hand, popping them into his mouth, you know, and then splashing water on his face. They do that a lot in Requiem for a Dream, where like every time they do drugs, it's like, oh, look, here's the spoon over the fire, and then we're gonna suck it up, and, this, and their eyes dilate, and it's like all these really quick scenes of mm-hmm. of those things back to back, and they happen a lot, and then you know he'll kind of alter them. Um, also, I had I had heard that the the sort of camera trick where he he mounts a camera 
on the lead actor so that the camera is facing him mm-hmm. so that as the cameraman's work moving like the, the camera I mean the um, as the actor's moving he's pretty much stationary but everything behind him is moving um, and I, I had heard a while back that he was the one who, who first had done that um, and I know many people have done it since but supposedly that was when he first did they do do it in Requiem they do it in uh, other things there's a, a Smashing Pumpkins video where the guy's doing he's walk, walking through a convenience store or whatever um but yeah, like the actor has to have this whole contraption. I remember seeing it in one of the special features that's like strapped on, like holding this camera out in front of him, right in his face, and he's supposed to just kind of walk along naturally. And to do a test, he like went into a store and bought a candy bar and was just eating the candy bar walking down the street. Um, and you get this really interesting perspective. It's kind of the the opposite of first person, because instead of seeing it through the person's eyes, like you're only seeing the person's face mm-hmm. and everything that, that's going past them. Mm-hmm. Um, I also heard that one of the things he had done where he attached a drill to the camera, and I, I think that was like so that it would like make the camera shake, but you would also get this grinding drill noise along with it, and I think that happens during one of his episodes. And mm-hmm. um, so it was just kind of cool to see, like, oh look, here's this guy trying to make this you know low budget film, and you know what are some tricks we can do to really make it stand out visually, um, especially you know also because it's in black and white. There were really no like digital effects that happened, you know. So it's like, what's good? What what can we do to make this revolutionary? And, so, I, yeah, I wanted to see sort of the origin of all that stuff and then say, oh, if you dug this, well, here's this the list of his other films to check out mm-hmm. along the way. All right. So that's my story. I'm sticking to it. <laughs> so did your paranoia with having your door locked predate this movie or was it reinforced <laughs> by this movie? We, we um, I don't think I don't we have. <laughs> Tim, if you, if you don't want to, would you no, just give them a brief yeah. rundown? Or, yeah. You don't have to. It's just that they know what we're talking Not about. Not to out your neuroses yeah, on no, a podcast. Like, but. Yeah, no. I, I, I have a, a degree of, of OCD that manifests itself in a bunch of different ways. One of them is uh, obsessively checking that my, my doors are locked. Um, my, my car door, but m- mostly the, you know, the door to my apartment, you know. And, um, you know, it's one of those things, uh, it, it started, I don't think it's start. actually, no, maybe it did start around that same time. Um, but just knowing you yeah, watching that, I was like, this, this is Tim. Well, when I, I, see when I why saw that scene, yeah, I was yeah. like, oh man, is this where I got it from? But, um, but yeah, like, and there are times where I, I, I have to sort of develop a, a system, uh, like a routine of how I lock the door, check the door, things I do. And it kind of grew over a period of time where, you know, there would be times where I'd be like standing at my door for like a half an hour, like trying to go to bed and like not being able to convince myself, yes, the door is locked. You're safe. You can go to bed. I've actually toned it down recently. Oddly enough, and and I'm no doctor or anything, but I've been consciously trying to get more sleep and it seems to have calmed it. So I think there is a relationship there with Mm -hmm. the, the unrest and the lack of sleep, just like your brain just doesn't work right. And that's why these things start to misfire and malfunction and, so, um, so yeah, so I've been getting more sleep lately, and it's been easier for me to go, okay, do this thing and this thing, and then you're good. And if you're a little bit unsure, do this one other thing, but then that's it, you know, and mm-hmm. kind of limiting myself. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so the film resonated with you in a, in a sense of Max's, I don't want to say Max's struggles, but uh, mm-hmm. certain things about his... That perspective. Like, certain, yeah. yeah, certain things really clicked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So speaking of the, the production... That computer set prop, I don't know if it, the computer itself counts as a prop or as a set. Or both. <laughs> yeah, yeah, both. or a character. <laughs> character, sure, yeah, definitely. called it Euclid, but yeah. that, was, that was both really impressive and kind of laughable. Just, <laughs> Just the, the amount power. of stuff there. Right, mm-hmm. it was sort of, 
really impressive and that it was cool and it integrated with the room and it felt like he would have built that they fit the character but it was sort of ridiculous in the way that the original Star Trek technology was a little <laughs> ridiculous and that it was constructed to be visually impressive dials and knobs dials and knobs no, yeah. exactly with no concern for practicality right. well, I, th- I think the other thing about it is the claustrophobia of that room mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that every square inch of space is designed and like the computer takes up all the space because he has no concern for his personal space. Right. There's mm-hmm. no divide between his humanity and his ability, like his need for creature comfort. His existence and is computation. Correct, yeah. yeah. So the only time you see his bed is like through the computer when he just like, that one time he collapses on yeah. it. And it's yeah. out of frustration because yeah. of his inability to get closer to this god number. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I... I I was interested in it was the when we start the black and white there's this luminescence quality to it it's like black and white to the point of hyper reality is what I put it down Mm -hmm. it's just this like cornea burningly white and I don't know like is this would in 98 when it or 97 when it would have been filmed is this on black and white to start or is that an effect they put on afterwards I don't. I don't know why. See what I, you can see yeah. on the internet. Yeah. Just because it does, it does feel like a a deliberate choice and deliberately manipulated in a way. Okay, so Wikipedia's production section is one sentence. Pi <laughs> was written and directed by Darren Aronofsky and filmed on high contrast black and white reversal film. Okay. Okay. So deliberately, so mm-hmm. gotcha. Very deliberate. It was funny watching this because in the first twenty minutes, I was like, "This is what everybody makes fun of when they talk about indie film." <laughs> it's like this tortured artist. There's smoking. There's swirls. There's cut. Mm-hmm. Like you get close-ups on ordinary objects that are in like infused with this metaphor, mm-hmm. and it was it was comical for about five minutes, and then afterwards, I was really invested in the story. Mm-hmm. But it's just in. Brains in the sink and brains on... Like, that is such an indie, made-fun-of-filmy type See, thing. but it worked mm-hmm. here. No, it definitely does, but it was just interesting, because I, whenever I think of people making fun of films like this, mm-hmm. it hits all those <clears throat> notes, and this had all of that. It was yeah. just it's interesting. The, the difference, both in Indian film and out of it, is that the difference is the immersion, mm-hmm. the, the suspension of disbelief, whether you buy into the film or not. Right. Because there have been... Big Hollywood by the number of summer blockbusters that have been really successful and been made fun of right. that consist of the same core parts. Yeah. In the same way that there are indie films that consist of these same core parts <clears throat> that people mm-hmm. uh, you know make fun of them. And then things like this or Requiem or whatever else, you know, that hit a lot of the same beats and people go, Oh, it's high art, you know, and mm-hmm. there's something more than just the pieces that you put together. Mm-hmm. Much like the film, there's something more <coughs> than the mechanical numbers of the film. Mm-hmm. There's something else that yeah. Some some human element. Do you guys see? Have you seen any of Terry Gilliam's films? I don't know. What are, what are some of them? Brazil, like Fisher King, I saw Fisher Zero King. Theorem. Um, I mean, he did <laughs> Time Bandits and uh, Baron Munchausen. Basically, a lot of his oh, films well, are. I mean, he did a bunch of the. Monty Python stuff. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's the, the uh, fear and loathing stuff. in Las oh, Vegas. That's, that would I be. I saw fear that, and loathing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Imaginary of Parnassus. That's another loathing. good one. Yeah, 
I was just curious because this this had a lot of Brazil type things, and Brazil is I kind of this this dystopic future dream sequency, very centered on one character and kind of this fighting against kind of system or systemic issues. I, I don't know. And also, Zero Theorem is very similar too because the the premise of Zero Theorem is he's trying to prove that nothing means anything. Mm-hmm. Mathematically, and he's another character like Max, our, our protagonist, mm-hmm. who is really logical and driven by this mathematical medical equation. I just, I, it would be interesting to see if uh, Aronofsky had any, like, if Terry Gilliam influenced him, because a lot of the, the camera tricks and how he shot things seem to be similar. You know, visually, it reminded me very vividly a couple of times of Fritz Lang films, of uh, M and Metropolis. Oh, yeah. Both visually a couple of bits that just... Nothing exactly wow. distinct that I can say, this shot was just like a shot from M, or just that something about the the staticky nature of the film in a few places, plus the framing mm-hmm. and what was in front of us, sort of... They, just, they brought, brought those to mind. And some of that is really coincidental, because some of the way M and Metropolis and such films look is, is due to their age course yeah but some of it was due to intention and artistic style metropolis and, uh, gave me nightmares that's how <laughs> you guys said no. i watched it as an adult and like that night in the week following i was having nightmares about it i don't i don't know if it was just <laughs> we need to get you to watch the captain of dr caligari <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh i guess that was that struck me as odd that this reminded me not just of the artistic intention of those older films but also of the way they came out just because that was how films to a point looked at the time mm-hmm. you know in the same way that The Artist the silent film from a few years ago which looks very similar to even like The Maltese Falcon mm-hmm. or Casablanca I should have used Casablanca or, uh, Casablanca black and white right? Mm-hmm. they're both black and white right. but they look distinct because The Artist was made in a time when you chose to make black and white right. whereas Casablanca just, that was how things were right mm-hmm. I don't know why I said the Falcon there. I was just oh. thinking about Bogart. Um, <laughs> you know, but so there are similarities, but they're still distinct. It just something about this reminded me of those older films, but not just in its intention. Right. It, something about in its in its nature. I mean, there's something about the man's quest to find meaning through mechanization. Because the only visually, way, I meant. Well, no, I, I'm saying that the. Okay. That I, I'm drawing different con- uh, uh-huh. comparisons as a result of you okay. connecting yeah, those sorry. two. No, just the idea that the way Max is getting at these concepts is through mechanization, and that in Metropolis, it's it's humans have become these cogs in the mechanized world. What they find is their purpose, or what drives them every day is being cogs in this machine. So, it, just interesting parallels. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, we're, we're going. Joel and I are both looking at the notes we were taking <laughs> while we watched. There's the film. something in, in the early scenes of this. There's a very voyeuristic quality to how we view Max because mm-hmm. it's almost like we're, we're seeing, we're interrupting or like invading his personal space with that uh, front-mounted camera. Mm-hmm. We're right in his face the whole time, and this yeah. is a character who's very uncomfortable with human contact Mm -hmm. and that was something else that I was thinking is that every time he's interrupted by humanity or his body it's like 
the 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 organism's resistance to him figuring out the mathematical oh, properties of so the universe. Mm -hmm. It's like this idea that humanity itself is resisting this this nice ordered proof that he's working towards. Mm -hmm. Like his brain is shutting down as a result of him trying to get towards this. And we see that with his mentor as well, mm -hmm. where he's <clears throat> Saul, right? This yeah. is his name. Saul has strokes as he is pursuing this same mathematical yeah, he has a truth. second stroke once he is convinced by Max to go back to searching for it. Right. Mm -hmm. I like that because I, I wouldn't even say that humanity was resisting, but that there was a resistance to be fought. Yeah. Whether you want to call it God right. or, or not, you know, it draws some parallels to the tree of knowledge. Mm -hmm. Man's seeking of knowledge and the punishment he must endure for it. Yeah. I, I wrote down one of the sentences I wrote in my notes here was how much must one man give for humanity to attain this? And is a single person capable of giving enough? Mm -hmm. You know, or does it gonna does whatever it is claim the price of many people? Or right. what? You know, what's the price? Because I mean, the weight borne by both Max and Saul seems to destroy them, mm -hmm. and they don't work in conjunction with each other for some reason. I don't under, a team of people working on this. I wonder how that would have. But the, I mean that that goes against the philosophy of the film is that it's about one man mm -hmm. sure. with this particular set of skills <laughs> <laughs> trying to save his daughter through mathematics. No, like it's 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 so personal. And I mean, I mean, imagine yes, that metaphor is about in its nature. Yeah. Because Saul makes no indication to Max that he intends to ever go back to working on anything right. like this. And then when Max goes to his house again, knock on a knock, someone else, presumably Saul's daughter, answers the door. Says, oh, well, he had another stroke. I think it was his niece. But yeah, yeah. Sure, and he's, he's just, he's gone. And Max walks in and finds all these papers everywhere. Mm -hmm. And I mean, he's, you know, surprised. Because, like you said, it's, it's a solo, solo sort of obsession. There's other, there's other things. So it came to Saul when he was alone. I'm sorry. Was, no, no, no. Yeah. Just yeah, like, the, there's the also this idea of ownership, right? Mm -hmm. When Max figures it out and the uh, cabal Hasidic Jews come to get it, because they want it to be able to access God, they think that the 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 two what is it two hundred and sixteen character mm -hmm. um, sequence of numbers is the true name of God. He they feel like it's in the wrong hands. It's not his. He's just a vessel for it, and he claims it. He, he rather violently lays claim to. I understand it because I was able to access it this mm -hmm. way. It would be useless to you anyway. So that that kind of thing that might be what Saul experienced as well is that this powerful um, sequence that's allowing him to see things in a different way is uniquely his. If he can figure it out, he's going to have this um, unique worldview. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the things that I really latched onto in like two. Um, <clears throat> you know, and, you know, we've, we've we've talked about this before. You know, and like the idea of like metaphor and how when you read the same story a few different times depending on where you are in life you'll get different things out of mm -hmm. it and that sort of part of it is like you know every time I've tried to explain something to someone you know you kind of you kind of lose it you lose the essence because like once you have to put it into words and try to relate it to someone else it doesn't mean the same and it's it's kind of like you know the, the the matrix line the no one can be told what the matrix is you have to see it for yourself you mm -hmm. know and and I remember at the you know at the time kind of that line passing me over is just like whatever but it's like no like that's sort of the point of this is like like, you can't tell someone what the interpretation is of this. Like, everyone has their own interpretation. And, and you get it through, like, doing the work and 
Um, I remember for a while in my sort of new age phase being into the idea of sacred geometry, where it's like, oh, well, the way you know certain shapes fit together, and yeah, and like kind of like a lot of what they talk about in here, so that also fit hand in hand, like certain ratios and um, you know how you can create different shapes, like you know hexagons and septagons, with just a straight edge and a compass. So that like all of the the lengths of the sides all relate to other things that you can create by like once you have a center point and you measure this and then draw a straight line here, and there's this certain like understanding you get from doing it. You know, and I would read these books that would kind of go about telling you like, oh, if you do this, this, and this, it creates this shape, and it's like, well, who the fuck cares? And then when I sat down and did it, I was like, oh, oh my god, like this is the same as this, and the length of this is half of this, and the length of this is two-thirds of this, and oh wow, like all these pieces fit together, and you, you learn that by like by doing it, by getting in and physically figuring it out, you know, and making it happen. And um, I think that's a lot of part of it too, and almost, I mean, this could even be comment, uh, commentary about like our current information age, you know, like just being able to look at something and get a bunch of information is not the same as like physically doing it and experiencing it and earning it, you know, like, um, you know, to, to sit down and sort of figure something out like, oh, well, I could just read an article about that. It's like, well, sure, but you don't appreciate the depth of it by just like having a, a conceptual knowledge versus like physically doing it, you know, and, and that was definitely, I think, the difference with Max where it was like he, however he was going about doing it unintentionally, like discovered this when he talks about oh it's the, between the numbers and the nuance of this you know and he had like poured over these numbers and we're looking for connections and this and this and that and you know with the with you know the the, the group in the the kabbalah they were just like you know like he says to them you've probably tried every 216 number combination and translated them and intoned them mm-hmm. you know but they're 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 basically looking for this one thing out of infinity that's going to be magic as opposed to going through this journey kind of not really knowing where it's going to lead you know but being on this journey just because you you feel like there's something there and uh you you know and and at first it's interesting because there isn't a sense of entitlement to it you know it's it's more like this obsession whereas the the kabbalah they felt like they had the right to this because this is our people this is our word of god our name of god we deserve to have this not you you're not pure and you know but he was the one who did the work not knowing he was doing the work you know and um i feel like that's kind of an interesting kind of parable in and of itself you know like and there's an interesting counterplay between the jews who felt they had a right to it but except for that one impassioned panic in the car mm-hmm. treated him very well right let him go and he yeah. said no i'm leaving this is not for you and the stock people who you know, didn't really have any right to it. They just, they just wanted it. They didn't mm-hmm. care, and they were willing to do anything, mm-hmm. including kill him, to, to get it. Right. Well, they threatened to kill him. I don't know if they... You know, he had the knowledge in his head, and you can't kill a guy for the knowledge in his head, et cetera, et cetera. But, mm-hmm. you know, that the people who felt entitled to it let it go. Mm-hmm. For for Max. For the person. Mm-hmm. But the people who, who just kind of wanted it didn't care about anything else. Mm-hmm. Which is really interesting. It's interesting Max is kind of... Because he starts with the stock market. Mm-hmm. Now, why would, he, why would he do that? Well, I think he had already been hired. I think that was kind of... Um, like, when you see him at the beginning and he's, like, paranoid and being followed, I think it's because that group that the, the woman was constantly trying to get him in contact from, I had always got the impression that they had previously hired him. Oh, I thought they were just scouting he, him. And he hadn't delivered yet, and they were kind of checking in on him. 
you know, and just kind of to see where he was with that, um, you know, and so I think that was sort of the thing and why he was kind of like, okay, I'm looking for this pattern, but it's more, I mean, then again, maybe I had that wrong. Maybe he was just paranoid for the sake of being paranoid and he was doing it just, oh, I want to find patterns in nature. Oh, here's a thing where there's a ton of numbers. Let me, let me look into this, you know. I mean, and also like maybe he's drawing on habits of people around him and misconstruing them as patterns of them following him that mm-hmm. might be that he's so caught up in his investigation that I just yeah. it was just interesting to start from kind of a purely consumerist financial gainy place mm-hmm. I'm going to use math to make money I don't think he was doing it to make money yeah cause he says he that at one point it, he wasn't interested in, in because, money yeah. because the stock market was the pinnacle of human numerical creation and it's international, it's constantly moving. And chaotic and unpredictable and had eaten alive everyone who'd tried to tame it before. Okay. So it's it's okay. The titanic nature of the challenge. Mm-hmm. Also the idea that it's a quantifiable entity. Like, it's something with numbers that represents the mass of humanity. Right. Sort mm-hmm. of like a solved game. Where like, like tic tac toe is a solved game, is and you can write a program mm-hmm. that will always make the best move to force a winner tie, mm-hmm. right? Same with checkers, right? I don't remember checkers. I, I think they just guess. recently got checkers. Anyway, yeah, well, humans always working on solving more and more complicated games. Right. This is like a guy who solves games deciding he's gonna solve Go, right? First, like just going, oh hey, that that was cool. I, I solved tic tac toe. What's the toughest thing I can do? Right? You know? Yeah. He's like, oh, look, I solved this pattern and that pattern, and I can predict, you know, cab fare and rent changes mm-hmm. across the city, and et cetera. Yeah. And what's, what is the biggest, most impenetrable, confusing thing that, that people say is, has no pattern? Right. I could find one. Okay. And it was the stock market. Mm. I wonder how that would be now if they made the film today. Would it still be the stock market? The stock market's still pretty damn damn big numerically mm-hmm. but the internet has created so many other massive things yeah. that I wonder if there isn't one numbers based that has come from that that would be a I think it might challenge. be like re- examining the neural nets com- uh, that you can find online the, the, the connections between search histories and those kinds of correlations of how ads uh, work and those mm-hmm. people's web histories and how they go about doing things. I think that might mm-hmm. be more brain-like that they would analyze. Maybe. I, something we haven't talked about is the idea that a certain amount of calculation forces Euclid, the, his computer system, mm-hmm. to die. <laughs> yeah. And what happens is it spits out the sequence, this 216-digit number that Saul claims is the computer's realizing its end and becoming conscious enough to perceive that, and then it dies. It's a conscious act of the computer before its dying moments. That was really cool to me. Mm -hmm. It's not super hammered home, or like they don't focus on that too much, but I Mm -hmm. really like that idea that the computer sensing its own end says the name of God right. it's well, the computer reaches some de- reaches the deeper understanding uh-huh. because after all that's what Max is using to calculate uh-huh. and that in doing so it communicates the only thing it can and only thing it knows how it just gives an output 
His first and last conscious thought is the name of God. (laughs) That's just so cool. Yeah, I didn't have anything else to add to that. Just like I thought that was such a cool element. The back and forth between. I want to almost. I want to watch it again and look for two things. I want to see if we ever see the same person twice on the stairs outside his apartment, mm-hmm. except for that girl from next door. Mm-hmm. And I want to pay, pay closer attention to the light and the dark mm-hmm. on him and what happens when light comes or goes. Mm-hmm. Because there were a few scenes where it was very noticeable to me. He had to take some of the blackout off his windows to get enough light to work the microscope. Yeah, and that was such a you know there's such an interplay mm-hmm. between those the whole time. I just I want to go back and see if there are other attachments, plot-wise or environment-wise, to the way the light. I'd like to see that with the the subway too, because the the guy who's sitting across from him who ends up singing seems to be hallucinatory because he blinks and he stops singing and he's gone. Mm -hmm. And then it seems to be the same guy who's holding the newspaper that he grabs and then runs away from. Mm -hmm. And then there's the the person who snaps his photograph that looks like Luke Wilson. (laughs) <laughs> Owen Wilson's brother. Well, he's an actor in his own right, but mm-hmm. Luke Wilson's brother <laughs> is Owen. Um, and then the the guy who seems to be him in a hat and a trench coat who's bleeding, and then his brain is found on the, the steps. Mm-hmm. And that's it's interesting, once we get the um, uh, Archimedes parable about finding out density by taking a bath, right? Mm-hmm. After that, all the hallucinatory people are accompanied by a dripping sound. So it, it's it's these... The the physical and auditory hallucinations that he has seem to ste- or, uh, snowball into all of the things that he's perceiving. It's just interesting that... I don't know, that mm-hmm. the transition of those... And they seem to be kind of linked through that subway sequence. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, you could talk about the, the metaphorical weight of the subway being subterranean and all these tunnels connected and mm-hmm. ways of getting to things and it could be in itself another system mm-hmm. this is why you love this movie is because it's all metaphor yeah that's, that's <laughs> yeah and it's you know and, and that's what's great too is like you know even now watching it, it's like oh i never really caught that or made that connection you know back in the day when i saw it and this is why we have movie yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd forgotten too like how good the sound design was oh my god like the mm-hmm. dripping reminded me uh-huh. like you know the that, the time the phone is ringing and you 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 never really know like what sounds are in his own head. Right. And they do this great job of like serve like being like a legitimate again. I forget which is the diegetic and which is the non diegetic, but being a part of the world, but also creating this like sound palette and like how like the layer stuff. Like there's you know whenever he's towards the end going through stuff on his computer and like the phone's ringing, but he's ignoring it. And then, like, there's this sound, and there's, like, this, these grating pitches that come in, and then he starts to hear, like, his neighbors having sex, and it's, like, all this stuff just, like, piles on top, and then that's when he starts having an episode, and you get that screeching that comes with that, and it's just, like, all this stuff, and it's it's really cool, too, because I remember, um, and, and, and I still, to this day, don't have a clear, <laughs> you know, uh, separation sometimes between what is sound design and what is score, what is music. You know, because I feel like the blind the lines have been blurred a lot. Um, you know, where yeah, you could have the sounds of a telephone and the ta- sounds of screeching and people having sex, and and that is music. You know, in a sense, you know the way it's put together, and it's you know it's 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 so cool 
the way a lot of the stuff, especially things like the phone ringing and the dripping, stuff that's repetitive and has mm-hmm. like a, a pattern to it almost, you know, it, it does create, to me, it, it creates more of a sense of music because it's not just like random sounds, but sounds like that are creating a rhythm on top of each other. But then also with, with sort of sustained sounds on top of that. And, and it, it's really cool because I'm like, is this, was this intended to be music or is this sound design? Because like it works as both. And it, it was, yeah, I, that was definitely a, a big thing I appreciated now watching this and kind of coming back to it. Like, um, you know, how much more sound, I shouldn't say this like it's across the board, but for like this small indie film, you know, kind of thing, like how much they were able to do with sound where it's like, you know, they, they didn't hire, you know, John Williams to do this giant score, but it's like how effective and how perfect it was. And, you know, and, you know, also being set in New York, I'm sure helped because all those other sounds being very organic, like the train and thing like Mm -hmm. things like that. Um, I think it's supposed to take place in like the eighties. So I think like, you know, having the the old rotary phone and the phone that keeps on ringing because there's there are no, no answering answer machines, machine, no yeah. voicemails, so it just rings, you know, indefinitely until that scene is over, you know. Um, as opposed to like, oh, my phone is playing a little song and in 10 seconds it'll go to voicemail. Like, no, this like keeps going, you know. Right. And it was it goes until you pick up when the other person hangs up. Yeah. Right. So yeah. At, you know, at the very least I feel like it was a very musical approach to the sound design. You know, they're like a lot of the composers I love will write pieces like that for the stage, you know, where it's these sounds that just get layered and layered and they're, they're super interesting, create this interesting texture. So to have something like that, that's that's so well married to this film and that the song, the, the sounds that are coming up are so organic and part of the story, you know, again, like it's almost as if the sound is another character on top of all that. It's another thing where you really feel the absence of it when it's gone. Oh, yeah. Because that cacophonous rep- repetition of the, the phone ringing and the scratching. And that, and then he has kind of this quiet epiphany after that. And you really feel the weight of that silence, like mm-hmm. something's become clear. Yeah. And then he drills into his head. <laughs> uh, so back to what you were talking about, uh, Scott, with the lighting. Yeah. There are... We get a lot of blackouts from... Max's perspective, but also like there's blackouts and then there's whiteouts, mm-hmm. and it would be interesting to watch again and track those to see mm-hmm. which is which, and which and indicates what and what follows and the causes, and, yeah, right? And because to to kind of maybe hammer home a little bit more about the ambiguity of the ending, mm-hmm. is it this idyllic heaven-like place because he's killed himself? Has he finally realized that he doesn't want to end up like Saul, and he's just gonna? take a break I don't know it's funny having the unreliable narrator and especially to the extent that we have here Mm -hmm. he hallucinates so we don't necessarily know what's real and what isn't Mm -hmm. it always annoys me a little bit where towards the end of the film that's kind of the point and they leave the audience guessing just by oh well too bad you have no way to tell one way or the other Mm -hmm. you know Shutter Island didn't do that Mostly in that you know they they tell us essentially this is what's real, and at the end we see Leo make his well did he make his choice or did he return to his his uh, fake construction? That is the part we argue about. That is the part that is left ambiguous for the audience to decide. Mm-hmm. Did he do that willingly or not? But we know where things stand, and that makes the ending really great for debate and thought and change. Whereas films that and this one didn't quite make it there. Pi didn't quite get this far, thankfully. 
But films that just sort of at the end, oh, it was all a dream, or similarly, right. oh, well, you have no mm-hmm. idea what's real, haha, you can't tell. Right. Mm-hmm. There's sort of a pointlessness to the end of those because there's a, well, was it real or not? You know, you need to keep the audience thinking about it. You need mm-hmm. to keep the audience. Every everyone needs to leave the film essentially with a, a thought train that will decide one way or the other for them, mm-hmm. so that they can then have a position with which to contemplate. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to end up walking out of this film and then a few days later going, no, I think the drill was a hallucination. I think he's okay. I think he saw that hallucination and it made him realize, so he took a break like Saul. Or, on the other side of that, going, no, I think he's dead. I think that's his afterlife. Mm-hmm. Or even taking a middle position. You know, you have to sort of settle into one or the other. And this film tread a little close to to the, the stupid version, like I said. The, oh, it's all a dream. The, oh, you don't know whether it was real. Ha ha. Right. But it didn't get there. It didn't quite. <laughs> right. Thankfully. You know, it leaves us... Was it some middle thing? Was it that he drilled and then when he, you know, broke through and fell over and the involuntary response to that would have stopped him, did people then show up and heal him and he, he did actually destroy enough of his brain to stop himself from right. thinking. Yeah. And when you say all real, both you know, both yeah. endings, right? And when you when you talk about the stupid version of that ending, it's mm-hmm. it's a an intellectually unsatisfying one. Yeah. Cuz it doesn't it's a lazy ending. It's not crafted in such a way to keep you thinking. It's right. just here's this little end cap that will frustrate you forever, mm-hmm. right? Like it's it's the uh, Stewie kills Lois episode of Family Guy. Like the yeah. the whole idea was Seth MacFarlane's fucking with you. <laughs> like that mm-hmm. that's that's the whole reason. I, and was it Dallas that did, or was it General Hospital where the whole thing was a g- dream sequence for like yeah, a no, season and a half? Yeah. 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 The, the, the Tommy other, verse. Yeah. <laughs> the other another film that comes to mind that came even closer, and I think maybe jumps into that pool of pointlessness but sort of leaves a hand on the edge was a next Nicolas Cage film from ages ago where the main contrivance is that he can see into the future by forgive me something like by two minutes at a time or something or 30 (laughs) seconds at a time so we see him use it several times in the film and they do it by like he's in a car chase and he's trying to beat the train and he gets just the car bam he's obliterated and then it all reverses and we see him he was looking ahead so he changes his behavior. Mm-hmm. And it does this plenty of times, and it, it works. It works very well throughout the entire film, mm-hmm. that when something bad happens, we go, ah, he was looking ahead. And we don't, you know, I don't feel <clears> tricked. <throat> yeah. I don't feel like, oh, well, they're just going to keep throwing, you know, surprising character death at us. It didn't feel like that at all. Right. It was phenomenal. Yeah. And then, at the very, very, very end of the film, when I'm going to spoil the whole thing, it's an old film, who cares? I... <laughs> He We're gonna get letters pretty much from the, the entire film reverses, and we find out that he apparently figured out that he can, in his prediction, predict. Oh, like Jesus. if I go prediction right? <laughs> if I go thirty seconds ahead and then look in the future, Jesus. thirty more, and then again. So basically, the whole film becomes undone, and we're back at the beginning of the film, and that's the end of the movie. Is that none of this actually happened? Mm-hmm. This was him just trying multitude of different futures. And that's what I mean about it. it. Was so dumb. It was like so. The whole film just didn't happen. See, right? that's the thing. Like the, go ahead. <laughs> the one thing that I say it leaves its hand on the ledge of the pool doesn't quite go a hundred percent dumb. Was pool you are dumb. left wondering <laughs> what's gonna happen then? 
yeah, now right. that he's someone who can see so many futures, is he far enough back that he can change all of that? Because there was a sort of a few things that were almost inevitable in all the versions we saw, you know. Mm-hmm. And so you are, we it could inspire us to say, no, no, no. Here's how I think this is all going to happen. Right. And in that sense, because there's that one thread to inspire discussion, it redeems itself from being completely. Yeah, I mean, it becomes it, it becomes an interesting character thought experiment of like with all of the. Do you, are you paralyzed by indecision because you can mm-hmm. see all these possibilities, but you don't have time to process right. all of them before you do anything? Mm-hmm. Like that is an interesting story, but it's it's not hour and a half, two and a half hours long. Right, that, I don't that, think it quite justified the whole film. Right, you know, but. It wasn't completely stupid. I, yeah. I can't actually think of one offhand that is 100% dumb. Yeah. I think but that was... That's, that's, that's a good example. I think that's one of those lesser-known films I, I'm pretty sure was based on a Philip K. Dick story, too. Next? Yeah. There, I remember there was a period where I was, like, super into... Oddly enough, I know you're going to hate me, but um, uh, Blade Runner is actually the Philip K. Dick film that I know the least... I've seen it, like, once years ago... And, like, at one point, I sought out, like, as many of the other films that are based on his stories as I could. And for some reason, like, just never, like, drove back to Blade Runner going, oh, I need to watch that. And I think it's because there are so many other, like, really good ones. Not not to say that they're better. You're right, by the way. Next is based on Dick's story, The Golden Man. Oh, okay. So so you were saying. Yeah. No, yeah. Um, See, but it sounds very Philip K. Dick, though, that it was all in his head. Hmm. It'd be interesting to start see if yeah, the yeah. story plays out that way. Yeah, well, that's what what I, I you know again <laughs> you know the where I was at, you know at, at that point in my life. A lot of his stories tend to be about his characters not not knowing that they aren't who they think they are. You know, um, like isn't isn't um, Total Recall even one of his? Yep. Yeah, it's like Total Recall. Uh, was it the Sixth Day? The one with the you know the cloning? Um, was it Imposter? Um, is minority report. minority reports one of his paycheck is one of his where it's just uh, like uh, use your words I can't um, <laughs> just another dick film I can't mm-hmm. um, those dick films the, the the one with the cop and the <laughs> it doesn't narrow it down no. Copland with um. Stallone <laughs> Judge Dredd with Stallone. No. Scanner Darkly. Yes. Is the one I was thinking uh, of. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I've seen <clears throat> very few of these. A Minority Report. I haven't seen that. Apparently, the Adjustment Bureau. I did not know oh, that. That's, that's right. Yep, that's I haven't seen that one yeah. either, but I knew that. You know, I but. need to read more dick. Because the only... <laughs> I'm sorry. We... <laughs> 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 Oh, this, this the the funniest <laughs> part is the idea of reading dick makes absolutely no, <laughs> no sense. sense. You're like, <laughs> yeah, read some dick. <laughs> it's funny because the only <laughs> the only one of his works that I have read and seen is I've seen Blade Runner and then I read Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, mm-hmm. and they are so <laughs> very different. Yep, that's what I've very heard, you know, very okay. different. Mm-hmm. They're it's more like they took the basic theme of Electric Sheep and just made their own story. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I mean I love Blade Runner. Yeah. I also enjoyed the book. Yeah, actually, no, it's really good. So I just—it's funny because I've seen a good number of these other films, I but I haven't read any of the stories right. they're based on. So I have yeah. no idea how many of them, like Blade Runner, changed a lot, and how many of them stayed the same. Mm-hmm. I 
love that this has become a, right, a yeah. jumping off point to talk about Philip K. Dick stuff. Uh, why not? That's the point. Sorry, you started someplace. I can't remember. Um, we were Tim. talking about next. Next was an adaptation, oh, then Blade think. Runner, then right. Oh, okay. So, well, you know, uh, yeah, I had two things really quick to add to that. One was I thought um, Inception was another one that had that type of ending, but I thought it worked because that was sort of the nature of the film is like going deeper and deeper into these layers of dream states and not knowing how deep you are, if you're out or not. So I feel like that that seed was planted very early on mm-hmm. for the ending to be like, well, who knows if he's awake or still asleep, you know? Yeah. And that, so, that debate is still interesting, right? Yeah. And there, there's, it's a dream, it's reality, and then he has decided not to care about it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, those are really interesting components of that discussion mm-hmm. without having a clear right answer, right? Yeah. And then uh, with the end of Pi... Um, I hate it when Pi is I, over. <laughs> I I never really... I don't know if I ever thought about, like... Yeah, we had pizza pie. pie. Right. We had pizza pie. We've started... By, yeah, we've started this idea that we'll see if it pans out. Is that the meal that we eat before we watch a movie will be in some way related to the movie that we see. So this yeah. this week we watched Pi yes. and had pizza, pizza pie. pie. Yeah. Yeah. And just we us calling pizza pizza pie has infuriated untold numbers of people. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Tim. We cut um, you off with a, you oh, know, okay. serious, something yeah. serious to say. Um, <laughs> probably, or probably not. Who knows? <laughs> um, no, it was uh, the. I, I don't know. I don't know that I ever thought of the ending as being unclear. Um, of this, of yeah, of yeah, pie. Like I, I just kind of you know said like, well, yeah, okay, like he. You know, he went nuts, and and maybe because it's one of those things where, like, sort of, I I don't know if you'd call it suspension of disbelief. Like, you know, you're you're watching a movie, you don't know what's real or what's not. So maybe in this world, he can survive a drill to the head if it doesn't go too deep. And maybe well, it that seems did, like he has a, a scar. It might have happened before. Is the thing right? He has that scar that well, seems to be tricky. Yeah. yeah. Although that's what that was the thing is I didn't know if that was something that was like growing there. You know, like a uh, tumor or something like that. That's sort of what I always took it as. Gotcha. And then once he kind of killed the tumor, killed that part of his brain. Um, and I mean, you know, and again, I feel like that whole That's thing was too. was was also just you know a, a, a metaphor. So in the world of this film, where he has this <clears throat> tumor brain thing that's going on, that's giving him these headaches every time he gets kind of too close, you know, too close to the sun. You know, it's Icarus. yeah, yeah mm-hmm. you know. Um, so it's like, you know, well, who knows if that's real to some extent, you know. Um, but I think, in, you know, and I, I think a lot of it is, to me, there was no real evidence aside from the drill to the head that that scene afterwards is is an afterlife, you know, because um, there, there's sort of nothing that really, nothing around him changes all that much. Like, he has changed... But, you know, there's still the little girl there quizzing him, like, with the calculator. Like, I feel like in his heaven, he wouldn't have that girl pestering him about math, you know? Like, it would have maybe been a more ideal heaven. Or, um, you know, he still had a shaved head, you know? It wasn't like... Like, I feel like if, if they're... If they wanted to sort of clue us in that this was, like, heaven, like, maybe he would have, like, had his hair back and be like, well, wait, why does he have his hair? You know, because him shaving his head was part of his descent into madness and the reveal of this scar and kind of, like, 
you know, oh look here here it is for everyone to see. He's wearing a hat in the the final sequence, right? Yeah. It's the only time we see him wear a hat too, right? He no. had a hat once he before. Wore, he visited his mentor Saul yeah. after he shaved his head. Yeah. Maybe what oh, okay. There was even a point where he had a hat with hair still when he was at the coffee shop, I think right after he found it, but before he shaved his head. Oh, okay. Um sorry, just no, no, no. But yeah, hat so, gate. so yeah, so I mean it, it was just it seemed kind of like a natural uh Progression, not like something weird had happened. We're like, well, wait, how did he have his? How does he have his hair back all of a sudden? Or, you know, like, or like if he was sitting on the bench with the the girl from his apartment who he had a crush on. You know, it's like, oh, they're together, but wait, that's kind of weird that all of a sudden they're together. You know, like nothing felt off about it. You know, it was it was just you know him. You know, being like, hey, I I can't figure out what that math is, so I I'm happy now. And you know, it's the first time in the film you see him smile. I remember that being the thing that really like sort of grabbed me like like holy shit like this was the key to his happiness is to stop thinking about all this stuff and just like you know he you know there's one time where they show that shot of him looking up at the leaves when he's talking about patterns and you're kind of seeing these trees as this sort of oh yeah well there's the the trunk that splits off into the branch the the, you know the arms and the branches and then the leaves and the leaves had it you know you can see how there's this mathematical you know you know, progression you could do, well, this one trunk has these, and maybe that's a Fibonacci series of how many brand, you know, and now he's looking at the leaves, and you get the sense like, oh, he's looking at how pretty the leaves look, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I almost wonder if there was, like, a discussion about, like, hey, should we have the last scene be in color, you know, to kind of show this contrast, show this extra beauty. Um, be interesting if we would think that's too on the nose if they had done that. Right, that kind yeah. Of thing. Like maybe they tried both and said, no, this is too, this is too you right. know, Wizard of Oz or whatever, you know. <laughs> um, uh, but It's interesting, there's a distinction that Saul makes between mathematics and numerology. I love that part. I love that yeah, too, the that idea is, that, that he, yeah. once he gets this, this idea of 216 numbers, 260 digits in this one number, that he goes looking for and finds it. Mm-hmm. And it reminded me, like, the guy who wrote the number 23, that Jim Carrey horror mi- movie, mm-hmm. must have watched this and been like, ah, I'm going to do that shit. Right, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> this guy goes paranoid and crazy and kills a lot of people because he keeps looking for 23 and mm-hmm. it ends up being... I, I really like the purity of that statement that if you have this in your head and you go looking for it, you're going to find it. Mm-hmm. I liked that a lot. Yeah. And it, it kind of redirects him towards this. I'm, I'm looking for a thing, I'm not sure where it's going to lead me. And he, that was kind of the thing with the numeral. He was getting into that Hasidic cabal spiral, pun mm-hmm. intended. Yeah. <laughs> um, of this is what I'm looking for, so this is what I'm going to find, and all the things that I'm looking for. Right. Yeah. Like you acknowledge all the connections, but ignore all the things that go against your, you know, what you want it to be, and. Uh, there, there was another interesting thing like that. Again, a uh, story back from my, my new age phase. Um, you I remember two stages of your existence, <laughs> yeah. blockbuster and new age. Yeah. Uh, but but uh, I remember reading this book one time, and this was, I think it was as I was coming out of it and starting to, you know, that same sort of thing is when you want to find something, like you will see it everywhere and you will acknowledge it and it will reinforce your, your idea. Um, Confirmation bias. <laughs> yeah. Um, I really enjoyed your speech about confirmation bias. I agreed with everything you said. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> um, 
when there's a space of time that you don't say anything Scott. <laughs> yeah whatever you say after that is always golden same yeah. with you too <laughs> <laughs> um it's like you know it's like in the when you play games and you have like the super weapon but you have to store up the yep. energy <laughs> Boom! there it is <laughs> the verbal laser <laughs> has to load for 20 seconds and then you can use it it has, it has a cooldown time um but, Does uh, that matter? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, okay. So, so the whole idea of you know, like how people like when they see on a clock when it's eleven eleven, mm-hmm. and everyone's like, oh, eleven eleven, you know, and there's this big like you know fascination with it. And I remember reading in this book one time um, that it's supposed to be some symbol of some cosmic convergence and all this other stuff and all these other terminologies that sound vaguely mystical but don't really mean anything or tell you anything about what they mean because you're just supposed to accept it and, and, and feel it and whatever. And I remember Time reading this concept book. concept that we fucking invented. But, but, <laughs> but, but, but no, it gets better. So it, it's talking about how, like, you know, and it was, it was this thing that was never really acknowledged until sometime in the early 80s. You know, all of a sudden, people started noticing 11, 11, 11, 11. I'm like, maybe because that's when digital clocks were fucking invented. <laughs> and before then, it was, you know, Stick big in the hand, ground? You know, little hand on the 11, big hand a little bit after the 2. Like, of course, no one's going to find any significance in that on an analog clock. But like you know, when you have like this one one colon one one, it's like yeah. Oh. Why why wasn't ten ten an important number before that? Because for analog clocks, for advertising, ten mm-hmm. ten is almost always the position they use because oh, it really? splits the hands in a nice oh, sort of right. pleasant yeah. shape and uh-huh. it doesn't block any of the other features you might have on a watch, oh, which okay. are all the dials and such are all yeah. at, sort of at the halfway point or lower. Mm-hmm. So the hands are clear it also doesn't block the 12 mm-hmm. which is sort of the big center number and sometimes it's embellished right so, uh, otherwise i think they end up doing like 150 because mm. you know the hour hand has moved almost to the two and then they're but basically those two slots are roughly where you see almost all clock or watch advertising mm-hmm. which would have happened at least through the 1900s mm-hmm. as long as there were ads for watches so as soon as someone figured that out yeah you know so yeah why wasn't 1010 our big important number <laughs> right or like you know, like uh, like six o'clock because they're in a straight line uh-huh. up and down, or you know something like that, you know. But it's like yeah, like I love it when it's like this is never not acknowledged until <laughs> the late eighties, right? Yeah. It's not like germ theory where some guy was like, I forget that guy who said that physicians should wash their hands, and people were like, no, you're a quack, you're insane. Mm-hmm. And, you know that wasn't acknowledged until you know some decade when you know rediscovered germs and right. it was like oh whoa he was right like, yeah that's when you use that phrase right yeah. you know his ideas weren't acknowledged until this year yeah. not for this sort of thing right yeah and and so so that was sort of i think when when the the shell was starting to crack for me it was like wait a minute like you know like sort of making these correlations that you know that don't and and you know and you know the idea that the eleven eleven is more it's it's an aesthetic thing you know it's symmetrical it's very you know it it, it looks pleasant it looks very ordered you know um so kind of taking that and yeah and spinning it into some sort of relevant thing and and sort of you know again making correlations like oh some cosmic conversion convergence must have happened in the 80s cuz that's when people started getting these messages and seeing 1111 it's you know it's like no it was because a digital clock was invented and it looks cool mm-hmm. when you see it yeah, you'll, and, you'll see where you look for it like yeah, you, said. you know and and like when people say well every time i look at a clock it says 1111 and it's like but how many times when it is 1111 do you not look at the clock and don't see it mm-hmm. or you know i'm sure there are other times you look at the clock to see what fucking time it is and don't register 
register it because it doesn't happen to be 11-11. You're like, oh, it's 12-35. Okay, I got to get to work or whatever. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's 11-11. It's like, yeah, you checked the clock about 10 other times today, too. Mm-hmm. You know? What if your clock's slow? What if right, it's yeah. fast? Yeah. <laughs> what if it's daylight saving time? Like, yeah. what, it, uh. It's funny to me that things that we... There are lots of things that we can't explain or things that are just sort of mystical. Mm-hmm. And some of those things, as far as can't explain, is it that we can't explain them yet, or can't explain them, period, mm-hmm. or never. And all sorts of things, ranging across a whole, all of human history and plenty of subjects. And there's plenty of purpose for some of them. Whether it's just entertainment, or you find an inner peace of some kind, or it facilitates cooperation or conversation, there's, there's plenty of reason for, and plenty of good use for such mysticism and, and whatnot. And out of all of that, it amazes me the things that people will focus on right. will end up focusing <laughs> on, you know. Like mm-hmm. that 11 11. Like, yeah. There's so many other things that, that lack such clear explanations or are so difficult to describe mm-hmm. or just so beyond us that, you know, that are worth talking about mm-hmm. or discussing or thinking about, even if only for our entertainment or for yeah. some greater purpose, one or the other, you know. Mm-hmm. But I, there's a way to talk about the eleven eleven thing. Like, okay, it's cool that we all acknowledge that at this specific time, if you look at it, it has this cultural significance. Like, this is a Facebook movement. Like, it's eleven eleven. Right. As a, a culture, we've decided this arbitrary thing is in important. Band class, yeah, we would always pass by, and we would always, if you hold your breath. And as soon as you notice, until the clock changes and make a wish, you know, oh, it'll come true. Uh-huh. We all laugh. Right. But but it was really an excuse for us all, the whole class, to hold its breath when 11 came up. Right. And it was fun. It was great. You know, we, mm-hmm. all, we all enjoyed it. And that was nice. Like, for that purpose, awesome. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. 11-11 for instance, has a great, great memory for me mm-hmm. in my past. But I don't exactly... Uh, look to it for answers from god <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> there was a there was an amy schumer episode where she like was making fun of that and she was saying how um uh, what was it like she was at like spin class and she was worrying about how like oh you know i'm you know i'm my boss is cheating on his wife with me and i don't know if he's gonna leave her or if she's gonna find out and then i looked at the shirt on the girl in front of me and it said relax and i realized it was the universe telling me that it was okay and then someone jumps in i forget who it was he's like you know the universe is not here to tell white girls that it's okay <laughs> that you're cheating with your boss you know like that's not what the universe is is you know spending its time doing you know but uh yeah like it, it, you know but again like you know like a lot of things it's like you know people are looking for 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 comfort for 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 connection for meaning I mean, you know hand, and in that example it brought her comfort mm-hmm. great but if she then starts telling all her friends, look for the places where the universe tells you to relax, right, and yeah. then they start seeing it all the goddamn time. Right, right yeah. That's when it becomes ridiculous. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. Eh, it's too much. Yeah. There's right. another great Schumer sketch where uh, she she thinks she has herpes. Welcome to the Amy Schumer podcast. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. It just, no, no, it's another kind of, like, she prays. Yeah. Because please God, don't let me have herpes. Mm-hmm. And it's Paul Giamatti as God. And he comes <laughs> oh. down and he's like, "What was the last time I heard from you? Nine eleven? I think it was nine <laughs> eleven." Oh, and then he ends up just like, "I don't want to call all my partners and tell them they might have to get tested." So God calls all of her partners. <laughs> it's a very accommodating God in the Amy Schumer oh, verse. This is the same God that sent the. Relax, messy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, uh, quick tangent. No, that's great. No, show. Good. I, to, yeah. to jump from that, I um, there was a musical I saw, and then the company I used to work for put on a year or so ago called Children of Eden. I think mm. it's called. 
I think it's delightful. It does. Uh, it's sort of a nice, almost Sunday school esque. It does Adam and Eve in the garden. Okay. It does Cain and Abel, and then it does Noah and the Ark. I think those are the three biblical stories we get, and it's musical, and it's delightful. But in that, it takes a very Old Testament portrayal of God, very human, feels emotions, very fatherly, mm-hmm. you know, disappointment in his children, sort of thing. Okay. And I mentioned it to one of my friends, who's more religious than I am, and he went to see it, and at the end, he was a little disappointed in that portrayal. And it was funny because I had somehow completely forgotten until I spoke to him that there are so many different perspectives. And not just, oh, Paul Giamatti, God. But just within <laughs> different religions and amongst different people who aren't religious, just just the idea of God alone has so many different portrayals and perspectives and ideas and different ways people, people think about him or her or it or mm-hmm. what have you. And I just... It took him explaining to me his... The, the way the, the show had differed from his expectations to remind me of the breadth of human perception mm-hmm. and how even in the similarities there can still be so many differences. It just, I, yeah, that conversation with him just struck me as, oh, like I, I had become so comfortable in, in my own ability to choose what I look at, I guess. I, I don't, it's not quite the term I want, but not my ability to ignore other people. Certainly not. Not to say, oh, well, no, I, Tim, you don't agree. Too bad. I, mm-hmm. oh, oh, well. But just in that, you know, you and I would talk and I would listen thoroughly to your perspective and then just go home. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't take what you had told me and apply it to myself. It, I lost right. that step, yeah. that, mm-hmm. that, that final step in mm-hmm. proper discourse. And that conversation with my friend opened that up to me again. That, oh, like I've been listening and analyzing other things lately. But, but not internalizing been, any of it. I haven't been internalizing or applying any of them. It was interesting. Tim and I were having this discussion about American Gods, the TV show that, mm-hmm. uh, is it Stars is putting yeah, on? Yeah, Stars is mm-hmm. putting You've You've read the novel. You've yes. watched the series. I we all watched the I series. I that comparison series. Yeah, on, so on the there, here, yeah. there's this idea of multiple Jesuses. Yeah, that's... Because Jesus, Jesus... That's portrayed more clearly <laughs> in the show than I think it's ever... More directly in the show than, right. than I recall ever in the book. Yeah, and for those of you who haven't seen it, the, it was the final episode of the season, right? Well, yeah. Um, where you, well, I mean, you get to, you get to see a little bit of it earlier. Easter but. is happening, and Easter herself has had a gathering of Jesuses at her home. And we see so many Jesuses of many different shapes and sizes and yeah. ethnicities yeah. and in many different clothing. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's what Joel is talking about. Yeah. Here. So, so please, Joel. And continue. Tim and I were talking about the idea of Christianity being so much about user preference basically is that <laughs> the, the what's important about the religion it, i mean this is i'm not speaking from any kind of expertise this is my perception of christianity from the things that i've gathered as i've grown up is that the idea is god is specific to how you believe i mean baptists are going to say something different catholics are going to say something different but it's the right, idea right. is that he is your personal savior you have a personal relationship with him and what American Gods did really well was externalizing and personifying this idea of a multifaceted, multi-representative Jesus, where each individual worshiper can embody a specific vision of this God, separate from kind of a dogmatic, universal perception, right? Mm-hmm. And just interesting about the idea of religion being something that caters to the user or the believer or the worshiper or priest 
subserving to a specific um, immovable idea. Because that's the kind of the idea of American gods is that there's new gods being that gods come from belief, right, and come from from us, right. And it's in American gods, it's a very direct sort of thing. They they walk around and talk, and their people are creatures, right. Um, and there's the old god idea of. I'm a force of nature. You worship me a specific way. Mm-hmm. You were kind of cater to how I like to be worshipped because I am the god of thunder or these types of things. Whereas the the newer American religions, those gods end up catering to the user. Yeah, the gods in the mm-hmm. book and show the new gods, capital N, capital G, on that that side of the conflict are uh, media and technology, yeah, and and sort of surveillance and the internet and sort of those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um, this this went really weird really quick. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I, I'm trying to think of a good example from the book of two two gods of the same thing appearing together in the same place, and I don't, I can't dredge one up. The the, the multiple Jesuses was from the show, which is not in the book. Right, um, was most probably the most direct example of that. Mm. A little, I don't I don't want to. A little heavy-handed, I will say, but not in a way that that should count against the show, because a show only has so much time to do what the book had the whole novel to build on. That You know, you can have the slow realization as a reader of, ah, many different gods and different beliefs and different kinds, etc. You know, the show had, they had to do that more quickly, just by its nature. So I'm not trying to say that was, you know, a stupid decision or anything. No, right. But But what made me think of that was the idea that your conversation with your friend made you more receptive to this idea that maybe his perception of a deity is nuanced and specific to him and before that you hadn't really acknowledged that difference I guess I've forgotten it I yeah really, yeah that it's um I, I, I apologize but I'll stick with American gods for a moment here there's a good segment where our main character later on in the book meets a character he spent a lot of time with in the book mm-hmm. he meets that god but the god doesn't know who our main character is our main character's name is Shadow I'll, I'll get a little less complicated <laughs> with my with my stuff here Shadow meets a god at the end who he spent a lot of time with earlier and there's a great little phrase from that that god of he was me but I am not him because he was me and that we were both this god but, but I'm not him because I'm different I've had a different upbringing and different existence mm-hmm. and their different nature to me gotcha. and then that's he's traveled to another geographic area so it's different people that mm-hmm. conjure that up yeah. he's so, yeah. the me to who went to America you know and, right because isn't that who he's referring to the one who's in America because you say that's I don't want to I don't okay. want to get into too much here. Oh, For anyone here who might still <laughs> well, that's be true. We didn't, in watching warn, we didn't warn against spoilers um, against. <laughs> we spoil everything. <laughs> yeah, but I don't want to. No, that's fine. If we can, and yeah. uh, and for you who hasn't read the book yet, right? So. That's true. We, uh-huh. Yeah, nor have I. But actually, yeah, no, that was portrayed well. Yes, it's yeah. portrayed that a bunch of uh, settlers show up in America and incarnate the, a version of their god. Right. That they think they brought their god with them from their native land. Mm-hmm. But by virtue of traveling to this new place and the way they've changed, they end up creating a new one. Right. Right. So, all right. <laughs> Sorry, nice, nice little diversion. No, yeah. Well, <laughs> it also reminds me, and this is, uh, you know, 
maybe more of a diversion, but the the scene in uh, Talladega Nights where they're all talking about like you know they're praying to baby Jesus and oh, like yes. he's not Jesus. a baby anymore like he grew up and died when he was in his thirties like Jesus. yeah like well you know my my, my Jesus wearing a tuxedo t shirt you know and it's like and I feel like that was you know kind of almost a precursor to this kind of thing where it's like like yeah like everybody has their own personal Jesus Christ you know it's not that there's this one unified thing um, and I was almost hoping that. You know, and I don't know Ooh. if this is or, or not going to happen in American gods more to a, to a degree, but um, I definitely get the sense with older religions that yeah, it is more of you serve the religion. You know, this is what this god is. You worship what it is, no questions asked. As opposed to yeah, like the personalizing that happens. You know, probably mostly in America because we don't. You know, and there's an interesting distinction in the show between the old rigid religions and the new, and then the ones like Christianity that bridge the gap. Mm-hmm. That were around at old times and are still around now. Right, yeah. Encompass it. But to bring it back to Pi, actually, just mm-hmm. clicked the that idea that he's chasing a universal truth. Mm-hmm. Can there ever be one, or is that truth like you mentioned? Both mentioned end, it's always going to be subjective. That's yeah. interesting. And at the end, uh, you were both talking about his speech to the Jews about it's useless to you. Mm-hmm. That was my truth, and I found it. Right. You need to find your own. I, yeah. Can there ever really? Yeah. Not just in religion, but in anything. Mm-hmm. What is universal and what is all of yeah. subjective human experience? Yeah. Let's all go into Plato's cave. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, Shadow like, puppet time! It's, yeah. it's dark in here. Like, <laughs> what do you mean? It's so bright. <laughs> <laughs> Will you, you know. me down off this pillar? What pillar? <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I wish we had an animated team that could like do an animated. <laughs> it would that. suffer so much. It would like Ben Oswald's uh, rant that he does. Oh, in uh, Parks and Rec, yeah. his filibuster, filibuster rant. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, and, I mean, I mean, I think even even that, like, even with the movie Pie and how we got off on this tangent, is that like to him, like he would never use this terminology, but he was, yeah, he was looking for God, but to him, it was it was math, you know, yeah, and and that's sort of the thing is like. Yeah, like, he would probably never call it God and probably never call himself religious, but he was almost, in a sense, like, serving that, that re- the religion of math and... Yeah, and, his you own know, rituals that he went through yeah, every day. Yeah, you know, yeah. like, and, and the sacrifices he made and sort of put himself through and, and the, you know, the attention that he gave to it, you know, that was his sort of form of worship, um, you know, and, and, and ritual and all that stuff. So, I mean... Um, yeah, I think there are, there are a lot of parallels there to all that stuff. Like, even though it's definitely not a religious, you know, there is that sort of, you know, the Jewish mysticism that comes in. And, you know, they're obviously talking a lot about God because that's how they're relating it to their their life and their experiences. And um, But, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's definitely cool to see that, that sort of like, yeah, this one interpretation of this film is it, is it could be a very spiritual film. It could be a very, you know, a man searching for God, you know, and kind of sifting through all of the, the stuff to sort of find his truth, you know, in the way that he's wired, he cannot find God in the form that the people around him are, or I shouldn't say him, <laughs> the, 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 the way that the people around him see God and find God and, and understand God, like it doesn't work for him. He's trying to find God within his own language, you know, which I think is another thing that really connected to me at that time too, was when it was when I was breaking away from, or had broken away from organized religion, but I wasn't an atheist. I wasn't like, oh, it's all, you know, there's there's nothing controlling anything. You know, it's like there's there's a sense of something. And you, you kind of get that with him where, like, there's a pattern. There is something. There is, you know, there, there's a code underneath the matrix. You know, if I can see it's that code. It's a more code, general belief. You know, yeah. A like, more nonspecific 
belief in something, but uncertainty about what or maybe what right. Mean. You know, mm-hmm. and because he had that that language, math was his language. That's what he was using to find it. You mm-hmm. know, and, and yeah, and I've gone through periods too of like, you know, searching through through music. You know, trying to find oh, is there you know the the the, the, the lost chord? There's supposed to be these mystical chords or pitches the or sounds that or David things. played and please the look. Yes, yeah. Thank you for yeah. <laughs> Nail thank you for making me throw up in my mouth a little bit. Anytime. Um, <laughs> it's a great um, song. No, it is. It is. Um, I mean, I've heard like eight different versions. Yeah, yeah so I mean, pick one. In different pick genres, one. right. So, so um, you know, pick, pick your God. <clears throat> pick, your, pick, your, pick your Lord-pleasing David chord. Pick your own personal <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> right. so, just but, something about the way you said that put me in mind of a Jesus action figure. You know, customizable. They have those, you know those, Beach right? party Jesus and, mm-hmm. you know, movie star water. Jesus, like Barbie's, right? right but Jesus, like, yeah. uh, something so, about the way you Mommy, the tone I can't you put use, anything right? in his hands. Very, like, they keep falling mm-hmm. through. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But blast yeah. for me, yeah. blast for you, <laughs> blast for everybody in the room, blast from us, <laughs> us, us, us. <laughs> That so. was an Eddie Izzard bit. I gotta give him oh, credit. Didn't know that. <laughs> I thought that was just you. I wish. See, it was for just a moment me. there, Joel, I thought you were clever. I had a thing. <laughs> I had a bit. It was stealing somebody else's bit. That's my new thing. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, was, I was thinking earlier when I was about to mention Blockbuster, we should get a bell. Yes. And every time we'd say one of these Absolutely. things, it's like, oh, yeah, here, Blockbuster, ding. <laughs> like, check. So you can play, oh, my God, there could be a movie mumble drinking game. Yes. <laughs> Tim mentions Blockbuster, do a shot. Tim mentions The Matrix, do a shot. Tim does anything. It's all a Tim's game. Yeah, I was trying to think. <laughs> well, I forget what was, yeah, because every time Joel says he doesn't have a bit or a shtick, take a shot. Yeah. I added that to my list of quotes here. I, I had a bit. It's just stealing something else. <laughs> there you go. Well, I used to date the podcast by referring to... And I did this one. That's I true, yeah. American God series was yeah. a here's a timestamp. Yeah. Actually, well, the, the if we really want... And I almost did this as a way of, again, how that we started passing around stealing each other's, but saying like, oh, Mother, which is Darren Aronofsky's new film, is coming out. Mm-hmm. I think it came out tonight, actually. Oh, did it? <laughs> did it really? Yeah, I think so. So, But it's not going to be the time it actually airs but no. yeah I was so. thinking about that if we ever end up talking about real world things they're going to be weird for the listeners even just in terms of weather because it gets very hot in this apartment mm-hmm. so we have the air conditioning turned off because it's noisy mm-hmm. and we have the doors closed because the traffic is noisy yep. but it gets pretty hot in here the yes. equipment and I have my laptop on and I, I feel like we we're going to be pantless. at some point yeah. there's going to be a, 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 a side remark about that about oh, we all took our pants off because it's just so hot or we're going to hear someone lean back and just go and someone else will say sort of quietly in the background, God, it's hot today. Yeah. yeah. And then we'll go back to talking. But then that podcast will premiere in like February. Right. <laughs> and our listeners will be so confused. So. It's hot with a passionate yeah, discussion. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. it's playing tonight, so I don't know yeah. if it premiered yesterday or yeah. tonight. But yeah, that mother film is playing. <laughs> so yeah, there you go. Mother. Yeah. Ding, ding, so if you, you, if you watch Pi, you can go watch Mother. Um, close off some of these Wikipedia tabs I've did, opened as we've been going yeah. here. Did we mention some of his other films? I don't know if we had. Yeah, I know we've said Requiem. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Noah. Requiem for we Dream. Talk about Noah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Requiem for Dream was his second one. I, I think the next one after that was The Fountain. I think there were a few uh, like he produced but didn't necessarily Requiem write and direct. Requiem for Dream, Below, he produced and wrote but didn't direct. Oh, okay. So do you want his directed films? Is that what you guys want? List of here? Or, I mean, um, The Fountain, The Wrestler. Black Swan, right. yep. mm-hmm. The Fighter, Noah, Zipper, Jackie, Aftermath, Mother, 
And then slated for 2018, something he produced called White Boy Red. This is just from Wikipedia, from the mm-hmm. Aron- Aronofsky page. But um, Black Swan, I keep forgetting that was one of his mm-hmm. for some reason. It doesn't strike me. Yeah, I feel like it, I don't know, like, it It came and went kind of quickly. Not like his others were, like, these big blockbuster events or anything. Um, See, that's funny, because I think of Black Swan as his most biggest blockbuster Right, no, least. definitely. Right, yeah. yeah. So maybe, like, it, it was the one that was supposed to make him, like, you know, because I feel like Christopher Nolan has definitely become, like, more of a household name. Right. Um, and I feel like maybe that was the one that was supposed to do that, but it didn't quite take off enough. Well, I mean, it had the, the, the budget, it had the big name, mm-hmm. it was Oscar Beatty, like, there, there, there was certain... Well, no, I, I think it did, because then The Fighter came after that. And did I he do The Fighter? Of, yeah. That's, um, did he direct it or no? Okay. Just produced. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's the thing. I think right. he said, so, yeah, some of them I'm he sorry. wrote, didn't direct. I, you know, I misread that chart. Huh. Um, but I think, yeah, like I think, I think Pi Requiem. Maybe it's a time issue. It says here that between Black Swan and Noah it was four years between release. Mm-hmm. Maybe that was just too long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I know. I think I'm pretty sure Noah was based on a graphic novel too. That sounds right. So I, yeah, so that one I think he might have directed, but is that a Frank Miller? Bring up Christopher Nolan's page here. Wikipedia again, just you know, that's always my usual Wikipedia and IMDb, and not, not looking for research paper here. Because <laughs> please when don't would cite you it. Say Christopher Nolan, which film would you say was his black swan that stepped him into the mainstream? Probably Batman Begins. Yeah, I think because then the Prestige right after that, his next. Yeah, release that was was uh, one year. Okay, not four. yeah. I mean, yeah. And even the Dark Knight between Batman Begins and the Dark Knight was only three, and we had the Prestige in, in the middle. Mm-hmm. And then the Dark Knight was a sequel, and it was Batman, so it was already had mm-hmm. breadth of appeal, even without being Christopher Nolan. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think that series that lasted over. So it's it's choice of projects, might the speed at which he can yeah. work those kinds. I think of Inception things. probably also. Could We're trying to find be the code. one of those. But yeah, yeah. Um, I remember it was yep. funny too. One of the one of the guys I was working with at Blockbuster had said that um, you know the three things you can do to to ruin a filmmaker who is sort of a <laughs> have successful you mentioned this every podcast have so I? far. I mean, you mentioned it in my presence a lot. I've never heard it before. Okay, because so I was going to say I know a lot of it has been at work in front of me and John. Okay, do you remember, I, I remember so, having this conversation with okay. you too? Yeah. But, several times. Yeah. But, oh, really? Oh, I didn't uh, know it was several it's times. It's new to me. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. so If it's new so, to Joel, then it's new to the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't mean so, to derail you, please. <laughs> no, it's okay. It just, so, so three things that you can do to sort of ruin this, this sort of up-and-coming like independent filmmaker is you know, give them a huge budget, give them like these big-name actors, and have them do... Um, uh, I, I think it's just like, like a remake of... I don't know if it necessarily has to be a foreign film, but some sort of a remake of an older film. Mm. So after Memento, Christopher Nolan's next film was Insomnia, which had all of those things. Like all of a sudden, he had this huge budget. He had you know Robin Williams and uh, um, Pacino. Al Pacino, and like it was like oh man, and, and it was a remake of a foreign film that had been only done I think like five years before that or something like that. It wasn't that old, and it was just kind of like oh yeah, and you know it's not this. And it's it's not bad. It's not bad, but like, I mean, but like it's following not... Memento, right. it was just like holy shit, like you know. It's a great character piece for Robin Williams. Mm-hmm. Holy crap. Well, I think that was probably another thing, too, that probably bothered a lot of people. A lot of people who like Robin Williams. Yeah, it's like, oh, he's super funny, and it's like, oh, God, he murdered his child? Like, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> Spoiler. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
See, that's that's one of the things too. I, I I've said this before. I, mean, I don't know. Both of you may have heard this. Um, around that time where Christopher Nolan and Darren Aronofsky were both kind of up and coming, mm-hmm. and I feel like they they took kind of slightly different paths. And I feel like Christopher Nolan, yeah, he definitely became this more household name. Like he he you know between doing you know the Batman films. And, which I feel like instantly sort of, you know, like, oh, you know, for anyone who, even if you're not a comic book person, like, you know who Batman is, you know. Uh, oh, God. You know, so, like, bad who? You're so right. <laughs> I, um, I, saw, I saw The Dark Knight actually on the, in a screen on the Warner Brothers lot. Uh, oh, wow. Because that was long enough ago that my dad still knew somebody who mm-hmm. would tell him, hey, by the way, there are screens, you know, is your son interested or are you? So That's mom and I went. Cool. They have a really nice theater back there. It's, mm-hmm. it's very flush and... Um, I mean, it's mostly just basically in the film, you know. The cool thing there was they came out beforehand, talked about some of the ways they made things, like the semi truck, etc. So my mom knows a lot about Batman mm-hmm. because of me, no <laughs> because kidding. I've been obsessed about yeah. Batman since forever. I, mean, I know a lot more series. about Batman because of you. <laughs> right. So just by virtue of me having the animated series on and reading all the comics and everything, she has learned a lot because she was a great mother and she asked about my interests and she remembered things. Anyway, so we're sitting in the screening for The Dark Knight. And who knows who else is in that room? Because, you know, you can't assume they're all movie people because Bob and I were there, right? Mm-hmm. So who knows? Right. Uh, there's that scene where Harvey Dent's in the hospital room and he's getting Gordon to, what did they call me? You know, Two-Face and he had the coin. My mom knows Harvey Dent is Two-Face. <laughs> of course she knows Harvey Dent is Two-Face. It's like <laughs> Batman 101. <laughs> so as that scene is happening, you know, mere seconds before the reveal, and I didn't hear this, or I probably would have had an aneurysm and died right in the theater, but she heard it one seat over. Someone behind her went, oh, oh, I think, is he Two-Face? I think he's Two-Face. And as we were leaving, my mom said to me, I just, I wanted to turn around and say to him, how the hell do you not know that? <laughs> so, so when you say, yeah, people know Batman, I mean, on the um, one hand, yeah, you're right. And on yeah. the other hand, oh, man, I wish you were more right. <laughs> Next time your mom's in town, I need to hug her because well done. Well done. <laughs> uh, I, was, I was so proud of her. And it's awesome. so happy. Okay, I'm sorry, Tim. Uh, you were talking about Nolan's path through Batman and the popularity that gained. Yeah, like I, like, I feel like he definitely became... More of a more of a household name, more of sort of like you know, known for like as his films come out, like oh yeah, like Christopher Nolan has a new film, you know he's doing oh he's doing Inception, oh Christopher Nolan's new film, you know, and I feel like um, yeah, like I didn't even know a lot of the films that Darren Aronofsky was like attached to, and I feel like he you know even even and even even though he's sort of brought in more like bigger names, um, like actors and things, like I I feel like he's to me, anyway, he's maintained sort of the core of what he his films are about and the way they're done, um, and maybe it's just because with Christopher Nolan, like like how do you do something like Memento again, right? You know, without just saying like oh he's just copying Memento again, you know, but um, like I don't I don't know how much I would watch like an, a Christopher Nolan film that I don't know is a Christopher Nolan film. And be like, oh, this must be a Christopher Nolan film because it looks like it because of this, that, and the other thing. But I feel like there are things about, um, like Darren Aronofsky. If I if I saw it, like, oh, like this has that that same feel. This has like this this vibe that he has that, um, yeah, that it, that is that is very very different. Very, you know, it kind of yeah, it kind of plays with with reality a little bit, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but in a, I guess in a in a more more the psychology of the character as opposed to like when you're watching Inception 
like <laughs> they do a good job of laying out the science of what is happening and how this all works. Right. So it is like a physical thing mm-hmm. in that world that's happening. Whereas like when you watch, yeah, like like with Pi or even with like Black Swan, like is, is this in her head? Is this actually happening? Right. You know, like, you know, like it, it's, it's stuff that's more rooted in, in reality and more rooted in the idea that you don't know if it's just, you know, again, it's that the character versus the, the world. Um, and I feel like that, that is kind of held through a lot of at least the films of his that I've seen so far I don't know about you know like yeah the fighter and the, and the wrestler and all that stuff but wrestler's supposed to be pretty good I'm that's the answer I heard see yeah. Uh, but um but yeah I, I and a lot not a lot of people like the fountain but I love the fountain I highly recommend that that one that one is also super depressing Okay. <laughs> so like, it was a, I had a, a friend of mine when I was recommending that he watch Requiem for a Dream. I was like, oh, it's an amazing film. You should watch it. But don't don't watch it if you're in a bad mood though, because you know, and, and also don't watch it if you're in a really good mood. <laughs> it's like, it's like he's like, when when should I watch this? I was like, I, I don't know. <laughs> so if you were gonna give a, a like a reading list, like if I was gonna go over and devour all of Aronofsky's stuff, mm-hmm. what would be the next step? do you think i see i like to do things in order because i'm just i'm like that you know it's mm-hmm. like with comics like right. you know yeah uh, you know and you know this now and, and also <laughs> again the same friend that i recommended requiem to he was like i kind of want to read civil war i was like no no you have to read all this stuff <laughs> before you read and i gave him this and i let him borrow all of them too because i had it all in trade paperback but i was like here first you have to read alias oh, by brian evil. michael bendis this is the introduction of, of jessica jones you know okay you're done with that okay now you have to read you know this you have to oh you have to read avengers disassemble well you have to sort of know the backstory of why all this stuff is fell, fall apart you know and spider-man's a whole nother part of that right you yeah a whole nother so litany of issues to right. read for that um so so <laughs> i i you know i i would recommend watching and, and again i i I can only vouch for the ones I've seen, but I I don't know if I'd vouch for all of them. Definitely, now that you've seen Pi, Requiem, and then definitely The Fountain. Um, Black Swan was, was good, and I, I enjoyed it. Um, but I also feel like because it's so rooted in like the ballet aspect of it, I can see where maybe a lot of people just don't, don't dig that. That's you know? right. Um, and, and some movies are able to pull that off. Like I remember watching uh, Peaceful Warrior, being like, "Why am I going to like this movie? It's about gymnastics." But I, I loved it. Like you know, you get past. It's not about gymnastics. It's just that the person, the main character, happens to be a gymnast. So like that's sort of his vehicle. You know, kind of like Max. He's a mathematician. That was his right. vehicle to sort of for finding the infinite. Um, so so you know, if, if 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 you can get past the ballet aspect of it, it's it's pretty cool and kind of what what she goes through and how it affects her mentally and physically and all that stuff um it was still really 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 good but i've, I've only seen it once and i don't own it um as opposed to like pie requiem and fountain like i own all those i've seen those multiple times um noah was pretty good um i enjoyed noah noah was very it's weird but good yeah it was it was very very heavy-handed i'm not saying that's a bad thing necessarily but very heavy-handed in having a a, a vegetarian agenda which you know now that i've been going more vegetarian vegan um it, it doesn't i don't want to say it, it it bothered me but it's definitely you know like anytime you're introduced with a concept that you're uncomfortable with like it's hard to sit with it you know and but kind of the more i kind of move over to that side and kind of go back and think about it i'm like yeah like okay that was 
that is an interesting way to portray it you know like they really get into how barbaric meat eaters are in that film you know and mm-hmm. how Noah and his family are all vegetarians you know and that that kind of correlate and that it's I don't think it's why God chooses to save only them but it definitely correlates to that that they gotcha. are the sort of peaceful people who are you know they're growing food and tending livestock and living sort of you know in I mean, there are animals who are con- who are carnivores who are living in accordance and equilibrium with nature. But I think the part of the point is the way humans do it is way more barbaric and violent. And um, this also this this sense of domineering the the earth and where they live in their environment and kind of you know this is here for me as opposed to with Noah and his family like you know we're going to grow and I you know I think they have you know, you know <laughs> yeah they have two of every animal. Um, See, the, the thing, when I came away from that movie, I didn't really think about it that much in a meat eater standpoint. I couldn't yeah. get past the cool rock monster fallen angels. Like, I <laughs> I also saw it with my mom and my grandma, mm-hmm. which, my my grandma went into that film wanting it to be like Ben-Hur or the Ten Commandments, okay. like this yeah. this massive epic that really portrays the, the, the staunch King James Bible version right. of the Noah myth so wrong audience to see it with but i didn't come out of it thinking man i really should rethink my meat eating or like Mm -hmm. that was really vegetarian driven the Mm -hmm. whole time i was just like that's that's a cool vehicle for russell crowe and for Mm -hmm. an interesting retelling of what these different things that have been Mm -hmm. retranslated for so long welcome to the diet and nutrition podcast (laughs) (laughs) we've had religion and this has been an interesting one. Yeah. We've we've gone all over the place. Well, I think part what of why that also done to us <laughs> <laughs> too much pie. Yeah. I, I think part of why that that was also kind of really obvious, to, or I, I guess I shouldn't say obvious. Maybe it was just something that I kind of noticed. But um, uh, I I used to read a lot of Daniel Quinn novels, and and in a lot of his books, I think he sort of makes this correlation between like Cain and Abel, and the idea of Cain being. Um, representing agriculture and Abel representing hunting and gathering and sort of those two two kind of ways of um, you know how again how how humans kind of live and survive in their surroundings you know do you kind of you know take what is there from what you can kind of get you know if you go hunting and you don't get any food you don't have any food okay we'll pick berries we'll do this as opposed to okay we're you know um, the idea of okay uh, what if this winter we don't have enough food? Okay, we need to grow a bunch of extra foods so that we'll have food later, you know. And and that's sort of what what he kind of says is where we start going against uh, developing an equilibrium with nature. Is that when we start kind of overpowering nature, be like, no, I am going to decide how much food grows here. But that all that does is expand the population because if you, you know, if you have ten people in your tribe but you grow enough food for 30 people so that you have food just in case well eventually you're going to have 30 people in your tribe because that's how much you can support and he has this whole analogy about like a a cage with mice and if you have if you keep putting enough food for 50 mice in a cage there'll always be an average of 50 mice if you start putting more food in uh, for 100 mice eventually you will have 100 mice you know and then when you scale it back and only put enough food for 50 it'll go back to 50 so like this idea that you know we're um yeah the the basically taking from the earth what is kind of provided for us or we decide that we will manipulate the earth in a way so that we have whatever we want out of it so there was there was that kind of biblical metaphor set up for those two ways of living 
and to me it kind of in a sense fit in I mean it was kind of interesting that they kind of flipped it that you know in this story the the, the descendants of Cain were the um, were the ones who were the meat eaters and the descendants of Abel of Abel were the vegetarians and the agriculturalists and stuff like that. I mean not the, descend, the descendants of Seth um, so I thought that was kind of interesting that they kind of he kind of shifted that around but um, I, I think again it was more part of why it jumped out at me like that was that it was like hey here's Noah here's our main character here's our hero here's the one we know that God hand picks to survive and we're going to kill everybody else and he, he and his family are the only ones vegetarians you know and, and they, they kind of had this peaceful first persona but, and then there's that part where I think they show like where one of them sneaks over to see and like they're just like holding this pig up and like ripping it out you know and it was just like the most barbaric thing you've ever seen and you know who's to say if that was actually like you know quote unquote what really happened or that person's perspective because they had never seen an animal slaughtered for food before and um and then you know or the idea like um when they're on the boat and he's just like oh i need strength and just bites the head off a lizard and it's like well i guess that species is extinct now and um you know, again, this, this this idea of, like, I'm going to take from the earth what I need, not, oh, this is the, one of the last two lizards of this species. I should leave it alone so that it can repopulate the earth when this flood is over. Like, nope, I'm going to bite its head off because I'm hungry, you know. Um, so, controversial question. Who is the better Noah? Steve Carell and Evan Almighty or Russell Crowe and Noah? <laughs> Well, Scott, see now, opinion. now, well, now you want to. I, I want I, this to spin out into the the between two feathers of those. So I'm, as I have been for a while now, hopelessly irrelevant. Um, Sorry. Welcome but, to the hopelessly irrelevant podcast. Yay! Thank you. But, um, hey, you stole my stick. <laughs> I, I, um, so uh, we'd love to get back to your question about Heaven Almighty and oh, no, the good too, but. Um, to, to sort of wrap up, you thought Noah yes, was please a, wrap up. I've been talking for way too long. You thought Noah was a well-made film, but not necessarily indicative of the rest of Darren Aronofsky's uh, folio. Same way Black Swan might have not been. Um. Uh, hmm. I don't. I don't know if I've uh, like as far as it being indicative. Uh, I mean, that's well, uh, your personal opinion. Like, okay. You, well, no, see, no, part no, of yeah, what, yeah. what I want to say, what my instinct wants to say, is like, well. Like Noah wasn't written by Aronofsky. It was you know because it was based on that. Mm-hmm. So so mm-hmm. I don't know if that was like inherent as I was watching it. Like oh I don't think this was written by him. This isn't you know one of mm-hmm. his typical things. A bit. Um, I mean there were. Th- yeah, I should have thought more about you know in, prepar- <laughs> in preparation. Aronofsky bit. Yeah, just re- yeah back. to sort of think of that's like fine. what is it that's his kind of common element that sure. kind of carries over. And you can think on that and come yeah. back later in for the recap. Well, yeah, for the recap. I had forgotten yeah, we were right. doing a recap. That's yeah. that's a yeah. good thing so, to remember. Uh, so Steve Carell, Russell Crowe. Yeah. <laughs> you, I want to know you. You've got to have an opinion because you're the one who asked the question. You're dying to answer. Okay. Right? You you want to answer your own. Question. Russell Crowe plays Noah the way Russell Crowe plays everything. It's <laughs> Russell Crowe as. Balls it's, to the wall. There's, there's no, like, it's he's <laughs> Maximus Decimus Meridius, I am chosen by God to lead these two by two into the ark. That's who he is <laughs> yeah. in that film. Okay. I, can we make a single lengthy sentence that combines all of Russell Crowe's greatest things? <laughs> uh, and uh, some of his uh, lyrics from his rock band. <laughs> oh god. You know, it's funny though, because I you're right, there are actors who are always just their characters and then actors who are the actor mm. and I think some of those people are consistent across everyone I've met and some of them are not right 
some of them, you know, all feel a certain way about an actor, and then others people will say, oh, well, no, I think he slips into his roles, no problem. But odd that you mentioned the other one as with Steve Carell. Right, and that's the other thing. Is for that, me, that Steve Carell is... He's the same Steve guy Carell, in everything yeah. else. Yeah. But there's something about the reluctance of that character in that... It's it's a terrible movie. It, I would not Which recommend one? it. Evan Almighty. Okay. If you're going to watch one of the... to Bruce Almighty. <laughs> Bruce Almighty I love. Oh, it's amazing. That's a whole other thing. Yeah. Mainly because I love Jim Carrey. And my, Steve Carell in that role, he is Evan in that... And he's hilarious. And the reason he got Michael Scott of The Office is because of Bruce Almighty. That was the whole thing. Nice. So there's something about the reluctance of that character to being Noah and the family man aspect of that character and the way he plays it that's very endearing and I like better. Also, I think it looks better in the beard. I think it's comical to have him juxtaposed with his modern society and nobody believes him and he's got these giant beams and it's it's mm-hmm. fully ridiculous. But I think as Noah, Steve Carell does a more entertaining and more genuine family man chosen by God to do this thing that you're not really wanting to do. I like I like his portrayal better. Mm-hmm. I have seen both those movies. <laughs> Tim, did you have an opinion? Have you seen Evan Almighty? Um, God help you. I have. have. Oh, yeah. there we go. I mean, technically. Technically. Um, now we have yeah, a support group. Yeah. Have, you, have you seen the Between Two Friends with Steve Carell? That, that kind of <laughs> um, uh, no, no, real quick, I just want to add, and we, we don't have to stay on this, but I, it just occurred to me. Actually, I think The Fountain was also based on a graphic novel, so I don't think he wrote that. Oh, okay, that but I you really liked The Fountain. Yeah. But I also I think it occurred to me that sort of what his thing is. I think it has to do with the the form. He did write the fountain, according to Wikipedia. Oh, he did. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. Well, he's credited as a writer. Okay. In the little columns with the check marks here. Okay. That one's got director and writer checked off. Okay. Maybe I mean I'm pretty sure it was. So I don't. know, Maybe he like wrote the, the screenplay so from it. Yeah. So no he might has... have written the screenplay yeah, so based on a graphic novel. <laughs> um, but but yeah, I think it has to do with his with his form, like the way he kind of escalates things and he has like themes that sort of return um and it kind of goes through almost like like a cycle you know like like you'll you'll go through this cycle of events that happens in the character's life and then revisit that same cycle but it's different every time and there there, there seems to be there's like touchstone events like him taking the pills yeah him address yeah yeah and he's always at the subway there's like these cycles that he cycles through yeah um, if I could step it back to Steve Carell for a moment, yeah, right. <laughs> yes, uh, the film that Stepping it back to completely changed my perception of him was a film called The Way Way Back, which oh, is actually on my, yeah. on my movie mumble list. I haven't seen that yet. I, I wanted just, to. We might just sit on a watch it one day. Honestly, it's yeah. so far down the list at this point. That's when he's like the stepdad, right? Yeah, that was a serious role. Yeah, and I kept because I also wasn't quite sure of the nature of the film right. and there is some comedy here and there some good humor I kept waiting for his character to be funny right and it's not once mm-hmm. and I adjusted during the film thankfully that I kind of slipped into that but that that did it I just broke the spell whenever I see him in something else now since then I just okay he's an actor boom right. I just, it fixed it for me you know that he's not just oh as hey, girl funny funny like right. it, mm-hmm. that completely fixed my perception see, I don't know if fixed 
you know, right well, or wrong no. is the word, but altered my perception. Right. Yeah. See, for me, it was Dan in real life. I don't know mm-hmm. if you guys have seen that. That should be on my list because mm-hmm. it's a really great kind of. It's a almost a tragic romantic comedy because he's this single dad. His wife passed away. He's got these three girls. He goes to this uh, family reunion, and it's just kind. Of, he keeps. He can't do anything right. He's this writer, and he's just instantly charming. Maybe I did see that. It's this downward treading, like nothing goes right, but it's a really cute. He has a meet cute thing, and it's this really interesting family dynamic thing. It, it's it's a really good movie, and when I saw that, I was like, this guy has depth. He can be funny. He can be sad clown funny. It, it was mm-hmm. that was kind of a mm-hmm. pivotal point, and like this guy is good in and can yeah. perform up to <clears throat> the, the level of the material he's given. Mm-hmm. Actually, I think yeah, I think I did see that, but. Um, yeah, I think for me it was Little Miss Sunshine. I haven't seen that. Mm-hmm. It, it, was, it was that same See, sort you know, of thing. What's funny where, yeah, is I was... saw Little Miss Sunshine well before I saw The Way Way Back. Oh, okay. But the nature of that was comedic enough that I right didn't change my perspective on him. Uh-huh. <laughs> what's the one where he plays the the wrestling coach? Oh, uh, Foxcatcher. See, and I haven't seen that one. I, I really either. wanted to see that one. And doesn't he play like at some point he plays a president too? Right, like. Does he play FDR at some point? Let me bring up his oh. IMDb here. Carell's great. I like Carell yeah, a lot. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I love him in Crazy Stupid Love. That's another one we probably should put on the list. Emma Stone, Ryan Gosling, oh, Julianne yeah, right. Moore, and uh, <clears throat> uh, Steve Carell. One of the best romantic comedies of all time. I love that movie. When about year-wise would you, were you looking for the President movie? Ah, it would have been the last... Five, seven years-ish. Okay, let's see. Uh, Cafe Society. Oh, The Big Short. I forgot he was in that. Yeah, he's good in that. Freeheld? Minions? <laughs> I forget, right? The whole he's moment. in Minions? What? I, let's not. Apparently. We're cutting um, that. Yeah. <laughs> no reference to the yellow yeah. things. Neighbors, Melrose. I don't see a presidential name I, I might be. that jumps out at me here on the IMDb list. I might be confusing him with something. I mean, I'm back towards the office and Burt Wonderstone way, way back here. <laughs> it's the role that doesn't exist, sorry. Seeking a friend from the end of the world, Crazy Stupid Love, which you mentioned. Seeking a friend is supposed to be Oh, Get Smart, him. man. I was just thinking about Get Smart the that. other day. It's pretty good. It's good, yeah. The Rock's in that one and Anne Hathaway, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a, I'll call it a revival, I guess, of an older... TV yeah. show, right? TV series, which was missed it. Yeah, I that much. yeah. <laughs> it was good. Yeah, that and the Man from Uncle, both had 21st century film revivals, and I thought they were both very good. Mm. I really liked the Man from Uncle. If I'm honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Evan Almighty, there's that one. Really <laughs> Little Miss Sunshine, Forty Year Old Virgin. He's in Bewitched, apparently. <laughs> I keep constantly forgetting things about that movie, and people will make jokes and references, and I'll just. The only thing I know about that movie... That vacant stare, and then you'll remind me... Oh, right. I don't know why, but it doesn't stick in my brain. The only thing I know about that movie is Stewie from Family Guy, like, reacting to a joke that wasn't funny, grabbing, like, buying an ascension ladder, flying out to L.A., knocking on Will Ferrell's door, and smacking him across the face, telling him that's not (laughs) Not funny. funny. I remember that, yeah. Yeah, no, nothing presidential looking on there that I can tell, so... Well, this is my Sorry plea to you, Hollywood. Please make Steve Carell some kind <laughs> of president. <laughs> Maybe or even the real president. <laughs> we should. Maybe that. something like that movie, um, 
God, I've lost the name now. Um, where the the president has a heart attack and goes into a coma, and they get the guy who looks like him to pretend to be president. Oh, um, ringing a bell. Is I, it, it's not. No, it's Dan. not Dave. 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 Is Dave. It, yeah, it's is it Dave? Isn't it? Yeah. I just typed the word Dave and look at all the results I got that aren't the movie. Um, yeah, Dave. Dave it's called here. Dave. 1993. There you go. Because that, that has a lot of the nice comedy, but it was serious too. It was a nice balance. I'd almost love to see is Steve Dave Carell on something where, like, along those lines. Isn't there one where the politician comes out and like totally ruins his career? Tries, is that not Dave? It's been, it's been a while. No, it's a, I think it's Kevin Klein. Uh, I think Dave is Kevin Klein. Yeah, Kevin Klein's in that. Yeah, yeah that's what I, I might be conflating two roles. This is ah, well. the thing where I confuse things. <laughs> <laughs> We're sort of losing ourselves off the rails here, I think. Do you guys want to wrap yeah. it up tonight? I, I have a so. couple of uh, questions, or if, or if one of you, I asked last time, I think, so if one of you wants to pose a film question. No, I don't have one. I, I, I had one. Go for it. What, yeah. what situational movie recommendation would right, be? Right, thank you. That's what, what's what that's what I'm talking what's about. a movie that you can watch on a loop? So you can watch it front Ooh. to back and then start it up again and be totally fine with watching Ooh. it right again. Now, isn't that a good question? This is one I've been um, sitting on for a while, so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm excited to hear from you guys. That's a good segue, too. <laughs> Just don't ride it off a cliff. <laughs> You may slap me now. <laughs> I'm ashamed of myself Is, for that is the Segway the lemming equivalent of transportation? Not even the same selling. Well, it's because the guy who... One of the guys who started up the Segway, S-E-G-W-A-Y, rode it off a cliff. Um, whereas the Segway, I guess I shouldn't laugh about, about the grisly S- death of a creator. We were talking about S-E-G-U-E Segway. No, yeah. no I, I conflated the a two. Lot of I people, like yeah, the... A lot of people make jokes about that all the time. And it annoys me, but you know what? Now I did it. <laughs> I, I did it. I have become my own worst enemy. Oh, watch on a loop. Now we might have to like build in a stipulation that Tim's answer to everything can't be the Matrix. I was thinking that. I was, I was like, just I'm thinking. Not I want to build matrix. in a stipulation that his answer. He has to find a way to make it. <laughs> oh, that's that's no problem. I'm gonna look at my shelf of films again. Like I always do. Hmm. Remind myself of the things that I own and constantly forget about. Groundhog Day. <laughs> God damn it! God I win the it. podcast. Oh. God damn! Jesus God damn. Christ! Oh man! The damn. amount of gems that come out of your mouth, man. Gems. Jesus Christ! Quote unquote gems. <laughs> Well, no, you had, what was it, Nerds That Speak? Yep, that's true. Was outstanding, which we didn't think of until... I'm being mean, but I do. Yeah, gems are good. He's right. You're helping us a lot of glory. Does it it have, okay, it has to be a movie. Well, yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, the only reason I say it is because I feel like a TV show would be so much easier. No, that's true. Something you can, like, start right up from the beginning after. But, I mean, yeah, I guess that is kind of a cheat to be like... Well, of course, if I have, like, 60 episodes right. to go through. Hmm. I like it when they're difficult ones, because yeah. it's, it's, it's something that... And I, I find, like, that might not be something people do, is... You know what? I, I feel like watching that again. Or I'm doing something around the you house, know, I the can put closest, it on a loop. The closest I've come, I think, has been not quite loop, but a couple times in one day and then watched again the next day uh, Mystery Train 
which I know I've mentioned a couple of times in passing. Hmm. It's a. It's on the list, isn't it? It is, and I'm pretty sure we'll actually get to that one. Hmm. <laughs> um, let me bring up the Google here just to refresh myself for the details, uh, release-wise. Let's see. I, oh my gosh, I typed trail. I'm losing it, guys. Mystery train, not mystery trail. Here we go. Uh, 1989, according to Wikipedia, Jim Jarmusch film. Okay. Uh, sort of an anthology thing with. Uh, it takes place present day, so 1980s in Memphis. And it oh deals right, with, right, right, yes, right, right. Okay, I remember. Around yeah. American rock and roll and the lasting effects of that music on other decaying glories, and it's three short stories about foreigners in Memphis that all converge at the end. Um. And maybe that's because it's the three shorter stories that, that it doesn't each feel a like a bit different. Gotcha. That it, it just hits enough different notes that there's always something I like enough about it to go to go watch. Gotcha. And it's light enough that I can rewatch without any major commitment to the character or to the plot or to you know I can just have it on and it's just uh, comfortable and familiar and it, it strikes a lot of familiar notes for me because of the nature of Memphis at the time. The, okay. the industrial decay of U.S. industry. My mom grew up in a town called Reading, Pennsylvania, which is now a really poor city. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when, when I did one of the censuses, it was the poorest city in the country that had more than 8,000 people in it. Oh, wow. I think it's not not quite not that top then. anymore. But, gotcha. And it was a textile city, so industry and trains... And all those sorts of things, which are common for a lot of Americans. It's kind of like an Allentown... Right, exactly. Suburbs of Detroit. Perfectly, exactly. Yeah, Allentown. Um, those things are, of course, common to the people who live there, etc. But for me, who grew up near L.A., right. my only experience with that was as a relic of my mom's childhood. Right. When I went to visit family. So, you know, to see Mystery Train, the film, which deals with that, even in the 80s, and connects it to things like culture and music... Is something I'm much more connected to. It there's a sort of comfort to it. Mm. Uh, like it leads me through these sections of my own past that I I haven't known, but that I get to see in a in a, in a sort of comfortable and well presented way through this film. That's cool. That's yeah. a good one. Yeah. I'm excited to watch that one mm-hmm. for sure. It's fun. Yeah. Joel, Joel is waiting. I notice. I know, no, I, I got. I, I know sometimes it's the asker starts to give the others <laughs> to time to talk. Oh, well, but uh, you, this one, I'm, I'm making a firm, dis- to go last. Yeah, yeah. a firm decision. Yeah, which means we're putting Tim on the spot. Okay, um, I kind of like your idea of me somehow justifying the Matrix to fit into. <laughs> so I'm going to go with that. So it's another drinking game thing. Right. Is that anytime you met. We need, Hackney, the we need to Matrix settle on a movie yeah. mumble drinking game that won't cause the deaths of right. yeah, listeners that's yeah. true. at some point. Especially as our podcasts get longer and longer. Yeah. <laughs> this <laughs> it, they have <laughs> As we've um, get gotten better and better at segues, it's, mm-hmm. it's um, But Yeah, well so I I was trying to think of something else and I and I couldn't really that like something that I would enjoy sort of like start to finish over and over again not that I think I would but like um, it's one of those that I know well enough that can fall into the background and I can kind of pop in for like some of the interesting you know action bits or like my my favorite lines or whatever Um, but but also like I I almost wonder if it would turn into this 
almost this like transcendental mantra kind of thing if it was like on loop and, and it was you know I feel like things something like that could actually be start to alter uh, my consciousness just because it you know it almost becomes uh, your reality in a sense I mean you know not just because it's the matrix but anything you can repeat I mean that's you know like with with, with mantras I think that is part of it. it like you know the altering your consciousness it's not that it's a a magical thing it's just the idea of repetition mm-hmm. like puts your brain into a different uh, a different state because of that repetition i think it could be repetition of anything um but uh so I'd, it's almost an interesting experience i'd like to try to just like have it going and uh i remember a sort of similar situation um my and, and, well, okay. Do you it's, want me to find you some salvia for that experience too, or I, <laughs> I don't need it, man. <laughs> um, maybe something, something less directly goes into that. Just some spray paint, even. Right? Yeah, yeah. I'll just huff that. Yeah. Um, I want to be known as somebody who huffs enamel just because I want to. Not because <laughs> I like getting high, right? Any <laughs> more Rick and Morty jokes? So. See, that's what I do. I steal other jokes. <laughs> Uh, but uh, I remember um, so The Matrix was actually the first movie that I owned on DVD before I had a DVD player and (laughs) and because I knew I was going to wear that thing out and just like from um, fucking it no from playing it constantly well this was before I knew that you couldn't wear out DVDs the way you wore out VHS tapes um just like the uh, um, Rush's Moving Pictures was the first CD I owned before I had a CD player. Okay. And I remember one night being at a friend's house, and I stayed over, and he and I think I had just gotten it, and I like I didn't even have a CD player, but he did. So he's like, "Oh, well, let's play it." And we ended up putting it on like as I, th- I didn't think we knew we were going to bed, but we fell asleep, and he had put it on repeat. So I kept waking up in the middle of the night hearing different songs on Moving Pictures, and that that altered my life somehow like I just remember like it was the the weirdest experience to just like you know and, and knowing that while I was sleeping I was constantly hearing Rush and then waking up and like oh here's Witch Hunt oh yeah that's right I should turn that off because we're, we're sleeping now just like going back under and it was like the weirdest one of the weirdest nights of sleep I had the other one was like when I think I had SARS <laughs> which what? also involved a Rush song oh, playing in my oh head oh my god what <laughs> I went, is going I went, on <laughs> Where am I? Is this movie mumble or fuck you, Joel? I just hijacked your question. This is my shit now. Some elaborate prank. What is going on? You're continuing adventures. We get punked. Where's Ashton? We just had the busiest week of the year at work this week, and I come home to list, and this is what you do to me. Every moment of this is uh, a freaking pleasure. Oh, God. I need to... Oh, no. You're right. I need to rein it in. So, anyway. <laughs> Don't. Wait. SARS. What was the song from Rush playing So okay. So the first SARS of all, night? I mean, do you want to... I went to, to Montreal one year for New Year's, and it was, like, the sick... And it wasn't even, like... like I, I, I didn't drink. Like, I was legit, like, sick, sick. And it was the sickest I've ever been in my whole life. And I was having, like... I don't know if they were necessarily fever dreams because I, don't, I wasn't dreaming anything. Um, but I remember the, uh, um, <clears throat> I think while I was in Canada, I bought, there was a CD where it was like uh, a string quartet playing arrangements of Rush songs. And one of them was Jacob's Ladder, <clears throat> which is one of my favorites of theirs. And there's this ostinato that plays. Dun, 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 dun. 
So like, and it's this, it's this very kind of deceptively awesome simple rhythm because there's this, there's this specific amount of beats to it and how many are like pairs of eighth notes versus quarters. So anyway, and I remember I had that stuck in my head and I had this really bad fever and that rhythm kept playing. And it, it's the type of thing that can't just play in the background because you have to think about how many beats there are so you're actually doing the ostinato correctly. And I remember I was uncomfortable how I was sleeping, like physically. And I remember like I, I, I named all the positions I was laying in. Like one was if I laid on my stomach, that was like position A. And if I had my like, so if I had my head to the left, that was position A1. But if I had my head to the right, that was position A2. So if I laid on my back, that was position B. So I was like, okay, I'll try. Okay, this is A1. Dun, 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 dun. No, I'll try to do dun. Dun 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 dun. Okay, position B three. Dun 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 dun. And that was like how I slept the whole night. And and it all, yeah, it's, what? <laughs> There's somebody screaming uh, from the apartments. So like I don't yeah. know if it's just uh, the, I don't know what happened, right? the physical like, manifestation of Scott's frustration uh, with this. No, diverse, not at all. This podcast like, is becoming just like pie. Like there's gonna a phone's gonna start ringing that's not gonna stop, and then there's gonna be the sound of a drill, and then someone having it's sex already next door. too late. <laughs> if you've gotten to this point, God bless you. Uh, God help you. Oh. You're welcome. <laughs> Welcome to Tim's Tangents, yeah. the monthly podcast where Tim talks about God knows what. Um, okay, anyway, so, so yeah, you want to so, do that with the Matrix. You want to get SARS and lie down in different positions <laughs> as the yes. Matrix plays on repeat. Yeah, and, and just have like those those chords swelling in in both ears. <laughs> just be like, oh my god, what a, I'm seeing sound and tasting color. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm, I'm taking this back. Yeah, I'm taking the reins back. His answer, and I'm he's s- also going to tell us that his answer is his pick for next month, isn't it? I have two answers, okay? Oh, okay? The first film that comes to mind when I think of one I would put on repeat would be Tropic Thunder. Oh, oh nice. I love that movie. Mm-hmm. There are some problematic elements to it, <laughs> which we can eventually Just address. Take I imagine. Step back. And but, literally. <laughs> fuck your own face. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I wouldn't have to finish that sentence. Exactly. But I also knew that whoever finished the sentence for me would make the other person laugh. And it just it worked perfectly. It's perfect. <laughs> so you're, you're the mastermind. So the, my other answer is our pick for the next episode, ah. of the next full episode of Movie Mumble, because mm-hmm. the next one you will probably hear listeners will be the... Um, Recap. I mean, we hope. We hope you get enough joy out of our ridiculous conversations <laughs> that you want to hear more of them and go listen to the recap. Yes, indeed. But yes, the next so thing. my next pick will be Wes Anderson's Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. Oh, oh nice. yay. I'm and excited. I love this film, and I love putting it on repeat. And it's one that I have on iTunes, so I have it in my pocket all the time. So I can listen to it. I, I've watched it back to back. It's... I love this film. It was not my first Wes Anderson film, but it, it's definitely my favorite. Um, I need to amend part of my answer to the Grand Budapest Hotel in that case. Okay. But, uh, yeah. as, as I could repeat that, too. Yeah. Much like Mystery Train. But, sorry, Joel, please. No. <laughs> so, um, that's my pick for next week. This is, I'm going to give the uh, brief next summary week. here. Next week, next month. Or next month, yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Life Aquatic... With a plan to exact revenge on a mythical shark that killed his partner, oceanographer Steve Zissou rallies a crew that includes his estranged wife, a journalist, and a man who may or may not be his son. I love this film. It sounds it's, very Wes Anderson. Yep, it's, yeah. it's top five move, favorite movies of all time for me. Mm. Um, was instantly, um, so that'll be 
the next excursion. Nice. Yeah. That was perfect timing as the sirens draw up to blare us out at the street outside. Are they coming to get us? <laughs> After all those atrocious jokes, the comedy police are here. Like the Monty Python thing. There's going to be a series of handcuffs and arms leading out my door. I think I broke Joel. That's a great sketch! Oh, man! That's going to be a whole nother podcast. Just... Alright, but yes, that will be next month, but uh, halfway there will be our next recap episode. And uh, that is a bonus episode, so you won't miss anything if you decide to skip it. You know, you won't show up to episode 7 hopelessly lost. Right. Uh, you're welcome to just jump onto Body of Aquatic, episode 7. Or, if you, if, you, if you really do hate yourself so much that you enjoy our <laughs> conversations, <laughs> wow, um, then please join us for the recap. This will be our episode 6.5. We'll yep. recap mm-hmm. this most recent cycle, which was uh, On Her Majesty's Secret Service, Shin Godzilla, and Pi. Uh, we're going to wait a little while real time to record that because yeah. I want to have us all some time to sell on each film, especially on Pi. Yeah. You know, I don't want to come back to that in two days, you know. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, for you all, that we'll just release halfway through as the other recap episode did. And I'm, I'm actually excited to draw a few thematic parallels between Pi and Shin Godzilla already oh, that cool. I want to sit on. So I think That's that'll cool. be a neat recap. Mm-hmm. I've got some unfinished James Bond. I, can, I do too, too, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I have a bunch of tangents that have nothing to do with any of the films. <laughs> uh, yes, <laughs> all is as it should be. Uh, and with that comforting message, thank you all for joining us once again, listeners. Uh, we hope you're, you're still finding fun in this podcast because we, we sure are. we sure are. Um, we hope you've enjoyed some of the films so far and. We, we hope we've inspired you to go watch some new films that you haven't seen. Uh, I've only watched one Wes Anderson film so far, so Life Aquatic will help me take It's going to be an interesting... And it's in uh, keeping with my obsessive devouring of things with, that share a common theme. We've so. watched a few foreign films. We hope we've inspired yeah. you to step outside the bounds of the United States. And uh, with Pai and Koyanis Katsi, we hope we've inspired you to step into some less traveled roads of film and we hope to keep doing that sort of thing so please keep joining us we hope you're enjoying it and uh, we'll see you either next month or halfway there for the recap have a good night bye bye